thing. We're in Sarasota, Florida. Awesome. We are live. <laughs> in the same state. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Podcast number 78. We're going to be hitting on a spicy topic today on yeah. why you should wait till marriage for sex. Oof. Yeah, and you know, um, blue balls this, is thinking about it. Yeah, buddy. Let's this is uh, perma blue. You know, like I kind of wrote, like I think Christians virtue signal this topic all the time, but then don't actually live it. So we're going to talk about actually making it happen, actually living it, not yeah, just how talking many people about do it. we know that actually lived it? <laughs> it's rare. No one's even going to tell you the truth. Even yeah. If, I mean, if they did, you'd just be like. Or they broke proud. every possible rule, except like technically we didn't do what <laughs> yeah Catholic girls rule yeah the, they broke Felicia, every possible yeah. rule but today we got a special guest here rob kowalski um he's actually bit he's actually down in florida as well visiting uh key west and so he's in the sunshine state but rob why don't you tell our guest kind of just a little bit what you're about and um kind of your background into why this topic is kind of on your heart sure man thanks for having me on um discovered you guys recently love what you're putting out there um my name's Rob Kowalski. I was born and raised in Baltimore. I refer to myself as a reformed bad boy because I was, um, before meeting the Lord, I was the biggest uh, man whore in my city. I was a stripper in my 20s. I was in the phone book. I worked for all the entertainment agencies. And um, you guys still there? Yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. Full screen, full man. Screen. You're full screen, yeah. You're good. So, oh, yeah, I was, uh, I slept with, I don't want to talk numbers, but it was a lot, a lot of women, a lot of one night stands. And, um, you know, my relationships were always chaotic with women. And I did have some, if you want to call them monogamous relationships, one that even lasted five years, but I, I would, you know, I was cheating on her pretty much every chance I could get. And I, I got to the point where I just kind of thought that I wasn't the kind of guy that could be monogamous or, or I, I guess I would say that I, you know, maybe I didn't think that I was capable of love. And, and i met the Lord when I was 27. I got this radical encounter with Jesus. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I prophesied. And um, essentially, God told me, like, you know, if you were if you do relationships my way, you'll be able to find love. It, it pretty much is what he told me. And I I believed him and I kind of stopped and I assumed that he was going to give me a wife, which I didn't I didn't even really a wife wasn't the goal. I never really wanted to get married or nor did I even believe in love, I guess. So my, my you know, was, I was 27 at the time. So it was fairly young. And, um, I, but I knew what I was signing up for and being a Christian and I was, you know, I was believe what the Bible said. So I was going to try to do everything that, that it said. And I committed myself to wait for, um, this woman that I thought he would give me with enough good behavior. And it turned into six years of abstinence and it was very difficult, you know, cause I was very sexually active before always had a girl around was never alone at all you know even if i was single i always had a girl a girl there so it was it was definitely challenging and emotional roller coaster and after six years of of, of abstinence i backslid and i had a bunch more sexual sin rededicated my life 12 years ago to god and um somewhere along the way i guess of of waiting or of, of being so promiscuous and then waiting and then falling off and then be recommitting again i just kind of like felt like I had a very good understanding of, of sex and the practicality of waiting and why I kept getting into these bad relationships where it wasn't necessarily me or it wasn't ne or them. It was just the fact that I, you know, wasn't committed to saving sex for marriage. Therefore I wasn't really screening girls with any level of anything except for physical attraction because I knew we were going to have sex. 
sooner or later. So I wasn't really asking myself like, is she wife material? Cause I wasn't even thinking about that. So that was, and that's just one part of, of the, of the argument. But after kind of coming to this understanding, I, I got passionate about sharing it with people because when I first became a Christian, I didn't, I didn't understand why sex before marriage was a sin. To me, it was like a massage. You make, you know, we're two people making each other feel good. Why was, why would we wait? In fact, if a girl made me wait, I actually thought it was kind of manipulative. And I, I, I didn't, you know, understand why, why she would even do that. So once I, I did have this understanding, I, um, I made a YouTube video called 10 reasons not to have sex before marriage posted on YouTube and, and it went viral. It ended up right around 2 million views, I think, and, uh, became the, like for a while it was the number one video on that topic, uh, on YouTube, I believe. And, um, started getting people reach out to me. I decided I was going to write a book. I wrote a book called why waiting works. Um, just breaking down the practical benefits of saving sex for marriage. Now, this was when I wrote the book, this was at least like five or six years ago. And I, I, I didn't assume that I'd be single still now all this time later. I do believe, you know, in the sexual purity and, and sex outside of marriage is a sin. But uh, it, it's it's definitely the hard road for sure. Um, it's, it's not the easy way to do it. I think you avoid a lot of pain by, by doing it and causing other people pain. But it, it certainly um, there's a there's a cost to it, too. Yeah, it's definitely I think that's just the reality of the Christian life. It's not meant to be easy. It's everything we do is going to be harder than, you know, going with the flow of culture and, you know, choosing you're, you're delaying gratification, a lot of Christian morals in general. So it's a good it's, sign. It's indicative. Yeah. Are you suffering? Are you getting along with everybody? Are you fitting in great? Probably not walking with Jesus very well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think with delayed gratification, one of the, that's actually something I reference in the book. Of you know the marshmallow test, you know the test they did. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I talk you about say it real quick, just for people that might not know yeah. it. Yeah, it was a real test they did in the seventies, and they they involved children, and they that's my friends coming in. <clears throat> um, they put a marshmallow, a little tiny marshmallow, in front of these kids, and they said, "Hey, look, don't eat that marshmallow. When I come back, I'll give you two. And then they would leave the room, and most of the kids ate the marshmallow as soon as the teacher left, but some of the kids waited. And what they, they found, they followed those kids throughout their lives. And what they found is as they grew up, they did better in everything across the board. They were better students. They got, you know, they made more money. They were best, better physical shape. And it was all about delayed gratification because they were, they did it innately. Now, I believe that it's something, it's a muscle that can be strengthened. It's not something, you know, that you're born with or you're not. Everyone can delay gratification. But that being said, like at some point you expect the two marshmallows, right? You're like, where's my payoff? And that's, for me, like I've gotten to the point where I'm like, what the hell, God? This is ridiculous. Like I, I've delayed gratification. Where's that second marshmallow? Come on. Not to say mm -hmm. that, not to say that that should be our, our only motivation because it should just get to be. You should be able to get to the point because God said so. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if there's no payoff, if I die abstinent, I have to be com that committed to the point. If I die alone and abstaining, I'd never have sex again for the rest of my life. I have to be okay because I, then I have no regrets. You know, like I get, I get to stand before God and be like, I gave it my all God, you know? Exactly. So yeah, I, I, man. yeah, I think I, but it, it's a challenge. Well, it's right? kind of like, um, I actually when, heard Jordan Peterson is doing this Exodus series and it's really cool because he kind of brings that point up and he's like, you know, the promise that was given to Moses, the promise that was given to Abraham, they never saw that stuff come to fruition. But, you know, we are eternal beings, so you have to have that kingdom mind. So it's like, yeah, it might not happen. Sex might not happen for me now, but I'm going to have 
eternity with the father. So you kind of reorganize what, what your rewards and expectations end up being. And that is a struggle, but sometimes you're not guaranteed those things in this life. It's just the way it is. You know, Abraham didn't see this, his sons become like the sands of the sea, but he's alive up there. So he did see it eventually just not here on right. this planet. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, what are some like, okay, go ahead. No, it's just trying to see this life from within eternal perspective. That is, that is the challenge, right? Yeah. We're trapped in these human bodies and you know, like, we want we want the payoff. Yeah, we want to chase dopamine. Hey, that's dopamine. why fellowship is so important because we remind each other as warriors together in this battle what is of importance, what is the cost of discipleship, what is the cost of of grace and salvation, what Christ did for us, and what we're gonna ha what is true success in life. Yeah, you remind each other all the time. That's why you need. And brothers. you're gonna be here to remind us today. Yeah, of like you've been abstinent and been faithful with something and, and some people think it's it's a big deal to go without sex or you know masturbating or any of those things just getting your rocks off period for a year let alone six or however long you've been going so um it's clearly given you you've written a book you're trying to explain to people that this waiting thing the reason why the bible tells us to wait for our mate for our wife or our husband has significance, real significance. And I heard earlier in our pre-discussion that there is some scientific stuff that backs actually this this uh, our command up. Absolutely. I mean, for, from it's a different argument or conversation that you have to have with men and women because women intuitively know saving sex for marriage is something that they should do. They catch feelings a lot easier than men and get their heart broke after sex. And you know, they get kicked around a few times. They kind of learn that they shouldn't give it out so quickly. For men, it's a little bit different. You know, one of the, the main ways it would backfire on me is I would have sex with a girl and normally, like most of the time, I would lose any feeling or interest I had in her the moment I ejaculated. And sometimes there'd be a girl and we would continue sleeping together for a length of time. And then it got to be around, let's say the you know third month and I couldn't play the non-committal game anymore. She was going to dip and probably go sleep with somebody else. And I didn't want that to happen because I felt a little territorial over at that point. But I still was wanting my freedom. So I would I'd make her my girlfriend because I couldn't I couldn't play that game anymore. And then I'd be in this relationship, looking over my shoulder at the next one, wondering if I could be happier with her. But also not all that physically attractive to this beautiful girl laying next to me. And every I feel like most people have heard the saying, show me the best beautiful girl in the world and I'll show you a guy that's tired of her. And oh, that yeah. is a hundred. That's a hundred percent true. And that's that way it backfires on, on you men because I don't care how good she looks. It, I mean, I literally would date girls that were. I mean, I wouldn't have changed anything. And I just wanted to go to sleep. I just want. I was because we didn't have that deep connection. And I really believe that if you leave with physical attraction and sex, you'll end up having less sex in the long run than the person that. Great, wait. great point. You know, in terms of what qualifies good sex, it's not always that sexual attraction, that initial sort of sparky, what people call chemistry or that aesthetic, like, ooh, I got to have that, right? We have a good right. friend, Will. He does the renaissance of, of uh, men. And he says it like this. It's, it's thrilling, but not fulfilling. Yeah, dude. He has those good little, won't like, yeah. So you got to keep up on it. You just, you're never fulfilled. That's a good one. I yeah. Thanks for bringing that up again. Mm -hmm. Love that. That's good. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's man. It's with any sin. It's it's fun while you're doing it, and then it leaves you empty. And it whereas whereas the opposite with you know 
righteousness or being obedient to God is kind of the opposite where it's not fun while you're doing it a lot of times. But afterward, it gives you some kind of positive feeling. If you're volunteering, let's say, if you're out building a house for somebody, it might not be, it's probably hard work in the moment, but then later you feel really good about yourself and you feel fulfilled. Yeah. Like for me, I know when I was going around, I would look in the mirror on, on Mondays after the week passed and I just I didn't like who I saw looking back. I felt like shit about self language, but I just felt oh, like a disappointment to God. I felt, you know, I felt like I had negative thoughts about myself. I felt like other people probably had negative thoughts about me. And the hey, just real only- quick, I got a question about that because there's a lot of pushback in the secular societies. They're like, oh, you grew up in a Christian household. So that's been inculcated or, you know, like kind of forced into you. You've been, you've been, you know, conditioned to have uh, the response of uh, shame and guilt. Was that the case for you? I mean, I, I disagree yeah. with that. I don't care where you come from. But did no. you grow up in a Christian household or were you? Uh, so my uncle was a strong Christian and he put me in uh, Christian school probably four out of the three years. I got expelled from two other Christian schools. My mom was 14 when she got pregnant with me and she, my dad was never in like in the same state as me. So I didn't have like a real strong male role model around. And so whatever I was learning in, in school or occasionally in church wasn't being backed up at home. So. Not really. I never really felt God's presence or heard his voice until that time I told you about uh, 23 years ago when I got baptized in the spirit. So, no, it wasn't, you know, and prior to that, prior to that moment of me get really giving my heart to the Lord, I had no conscience. Like when I was out sleeping with girls, I never felt guilty about anything I did. But after becoming a Christian, it definitely felt different. You know, I've heard people say Jesus ruined your fun. You, know, you can't you can't sin anymore. You don't you can't do the things you were doing prior to meeting the Lord and feel the same way about him. I don't, I, I don't think it's possible unless you really seared your conscience. Yeah. Do you, th- do you think that like endless chase of women, a lot of that is just seeking your own validation? You know, I don't know what, where it stems from. I think it, I've had people talk to me and say, you know, I wasn't shown a lot of you, my, me and my mom's relationship. We didn't have like a lot of deep talks and intimacy. Like it wasn't, you know, that, and maybe I was out seeking, attention from females to try to fulfill something that wasn't there. I don't know. I, I never thought about that when I was doing it. I thought it was girl crazy, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that it, there's something there, you know, some brokenness. Hmm. Do you mind telling me, cause I was excited and uh, just to hear, cause I want to learn about what this research is that, cause you were, you start off by saying for, for women, it's a whole lot more instinctual to, to hold marriage in a higher regard, whereas men, it's not. So it sounds like you have some information to try and, and let these guys know that, yes, it is indeed important for men on the scientific, more secular uh, domain of knowledge. Can you tell us what that is? Sure. I mean, the, the reasons, I, and I don't know if I, I remember them all. Let, let me see if I can remember them all. One was sex mass problems, because, you know, when you're having sex in a relationship, you're not evaluating on the level that you would if you're not having sex. And I can tell you this from firsthand experience when I backslid uh, and I, you know, before I rededicated my life to God 12 years ago, I had a girlfriend, we were having sex and I rededicated my life to God and I was going to continue just having sex with her, to be honest and thinking, I'm just not going to sleep with anybody but her. I'm going to be, you know, that's good enough for a committed relationship. But God started convicting me. He was really clear about it too. I can tell you, actually, I'll tell you the story. It was kind of funny. Um, we were fooling around one day. We we're about to have sex, and I said, "Hold on a second, let me put some music on." I went over, I grabbed her remote, and I and then, if, and 
in Maryland and Baltimore, everything above 400 on cable is music station. So I grabbed the remote. I hit 411 because it was the fastest numbers I could hit. <laughs> one, one, right? Because I wanted to get to it. And uh, the first song, no, first it was gospel. First song station comes up gospel. I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. I grabbed the remote. I went down one station. And the very first lyrics on the song was old school R&B. And I'll never forget it. It said, Temptation's going to get me every time. It, that was the very first lyrics I heard. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I already knew God was telling me to stop, and I was trying to pretend like I didn't know. And this I is before I experiences where it feels like God has got your back, and the Holy Spirit's yeah. like right there. You're like, oh, yeah, there is a team effort afoot to keep this from going down. You will love not enjoy this experience. Yeah, you're love <laughs> it. I've to be honest, we probably, we, we probably still did it, but, but I – I had a very honest conversation with God after that. And I said, I said, look, I'm going to try to do this in your way. If I'm in love with this girl, convince me and I'll marry her. I said, but if I'm not in love with her, convince me that and help us break up. Cause her and I had broken up about 10 times. Two weeks later, we'd have sex, you know, make up sex together. And this lasted for about a year and a half. And this is, again, this is before I knew about the book or the YouTube video or, or City Fan, all my proudest accomplishments, which all revolved around saving sex from marriage. So I didn't know about it, that God, this was in God's plans. All I knew was he was telling me to stop having sex with my hot girlfriend. So I was like, all right, have, have this conversation with God. I tell my girlfriend, I said, look, I'm not sure if we're built to last, but here's how we're going to find out. We're going to stop having sex. I said, if we become convinced we're in love, we'll get married. But if we become convinced that we're not in love, let's stop wasting each other's time. So we cut it off. And within about three weeks, it was like clarity. The clouds parted. And I we both knew we were in love and we broke up. And she literally got pregnant by like her neighbor about a month later. And now she lives in Florida, actually. <laughs> so God completely here. But I think what that what the sex does is it masks the real problems. When you stop having it, you, you know, because here's the way our body's wired. You want sex. I want sex. You want sex. It's like it may be like me coming over to your house if I was starving to death. I'd be like, bro, are we going to go eat or not? Because if you and I aren't going to go eat, I'm going to go find somebody to eat with. Right? Like that's basically what you're saying. But when you're having sex, you're meeting each other's basic physical needs. And you're not really forced to evaluate anything. You might wonder, am I in love? I don't know. Like, and, but then you just continue on in the relationship because there's, it, you're not forced to look in the way that you are when you stop. Because my body wants it again. So that's what I encourage anybody out there to do. Even like, you know, men or women, if they made the mistake, don't think that it's too late. You know, if you're in a physical relationship, especially women, because a lot of times they want to get married. I'm like, you got to force either way you win. You tell them, you say, look, we're not going to have sex again to our way. And you're going to find out he's a joker wasting your time and he'll leave in case you, in that case you win, or he's going to man up and marry you. Now I know it's a lot of guys that follow you and, and marriage isn't necessarily a goal for a lot of men these days. They, a lot of guys don't even want to get married because they don't want to get trapped. And I, I guess I kind of understand that. But, you know, I, what I would say to those guys is, man, if you look at the world right now, like Jesus is coming back soon. Like, I, I, and I would want to be as close to him as possible. You know, and, and the Bible's pretty clear about fornicators don't inherit the kingdom. Like that's been a big motivator for me to, to not do the things, you know. So it's not just what I'm going to get on this earth. Part of it is I'm going to be obedient because I feel like I'm going to see him soon. And I, I, yeah. I don't want Yeah. Yeah, that definitely, I agree with that. And I, I look at relationships a lot. Like what you said is these relationships that are breaking up and getting back together all the time. I just assume it's like, this is because sex, they're still attached to each other. When, if they weren't doing that, I, I can't like, 
I want to know if that ever happens with relationships that are abstinent. Do they play this game of always getting back and going back and forth on? I kind of doubt it because you're way more. Don't hear the story. No, you're way more rational. I think there's when... none of them in existence. <laughs> That's true. The breakups are a lot more painful too in your physical. Yeah, soul tie thing's real. Pair bonding, oh, yeah. if you want to call it that. Do you want to talk about that? I, I heard Mike hint about something about uh, the Bible talks about one flesh happening when you consummate a marriage. There's the sex thing that happens. There's a real uh, implication spiritually that occurs. The Bible tells us that. But uh, scientifically, is there anything that happens with the two bodies that we don't know about? Is there something genetically, genetically speaking, that happens? For sure, there is. A, actually, I had Dawn Mazur. She endorsed my book, and she she did a really fascinating TED talk called "How Your Brain Falls in Love," and it talks about sex nexus. And for women during orgasm, they have this huge, this big oxytocin release, and oxytocin is like glue. It's really kind of a bond. Um, hormone and if you think about like what the bible said about you know two people will cleave it sounds a lot like oxytocin when you look into it the thing is though is men don't have oxytocin release when they when they have sex they have we have an oxytocin release when we commit and that's what she found when she studied uh the human brain which is kind of to me proves that god knew what he was talking about because you know women are the gatekeepers of sex so if they were, you know, and, and when, if a woman, if we did it God's way, a woman essentially on her wedding night says, I'll, you know, she gives her body and the man gives his last name to security, he commits, and then two people cleave together and they become that unit that can withstand all the storms of life and, and uh, you know, raise a family, for example. And the problem is, is, for me, is I would have all these one night stands and I would sleep with a girl. And as soon as I, I came, I would be like ready to go out the door and I didn't want to be around him. I didn't want him to spend the night. I didn't probably didn't want to see him again, in all honesty. And I'm not like up until this moment. And what she said is almost like a it's this buildup in our brain. It's almost like a roller coaster. It has to build, build, build over time. And then when you find, you know, if you consummate, if it's after a certain amount of time, you have this release. But if you don't if you give that time to build, you don't get the release of this of this oxytocin from a male standpoint. So I would say, what was that question again? I'm sorry, I like off track. Just the, the scientific, well, like, uh, so for instance, the pair bonding thing that you described. Yeah. This is a real phenomenon that occurs, and I like the what you brought up earlier in, in uh, Proverbs. Like, you can sear your conscience. So, a lot of times, you'll hear arguments from people with seared conscience, so like Adam twenty two, who has an open relationship, and his wife is banging people, and he's banging people, and you, they're like, you know, everything's okay. You know, but it's a very subjective with approach to okay. What does okay mean? Their pair bonding mechanisms have largely diluted into just uh, you know taking something sacred and having a very uh, just. Well, I think they've diluted it, so it's not sacred anymore. And so then they say, well, pair bonding is not important, or they don't understand concepts like pair bonding from a scientific place of like these things yeah. are actually occurring. And when you wreck them over and over again, there's scar tissue that, that occurs, spiritually speaking. You have the scar tissue, which is your seared conscience. So you no longer see it as a problem. You know, yeah. it's like uh, Proverbs when it says a, a man's way seems right to him in his mind. God's like, I will leave you to your own devices. And then you can sort of rationalize and talk your, talk your way out of it being wrong or right at that point because, you know, you've done the damage. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it, it is a different conversation for men and women. I'd love for us to just discuss it because for women, they, they have a lot different of consequences from having casual sex. There are studies out there that women have, that have had 10 or more sex partners have, have the highest divorce rates. And that, so to me, that proves pair bonding is a real thing. Like a woman's going to more than likely fall in love with the first or second guy that she has sex with. And it's, you know, imagine if she does, she releases oxytocin and she cleaves to this man and then she pulls away and then she does it again. She pulls away and she does it again. She pulls away. Eventually, like you're not so sticky anymore. And I, so I do think that sex is a connection mechanism, especially for women. And you can break it when you treat it like recreation. I don't know that it's the same for men. And that's, that's the hard part. Cause like, how do you convince a Christian man that you should be abstinent? And for me, it, it goes back to the obedience because I do believe we're living in the end times. I'm like, I feel like those signs are all around and just, you should just do it because God said so as hard as it is. In addition to the fact that it goes back to the whole, like, love your neighbors, you love yourself. And if you are having sex with a girl, that outside of marriage, there's probably a good chance that she's someone else's future wife. Very good so, point. You know, so that that's not loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Obviously, that's. Being I think uh, really you know dope. one one of the comments I saw in a reel we post recently was this guy trying to say that sex is basically equivalent to taking a piss for a man. He's com. He's he's parroting Myron Gaines from Fresh and Fit because uh, he always says that. And I'm kind of curious what you think about that statement in general because that's where a lot of men are going to say well the, i don't have this emotional attachment problem that women have with it so like and then the, you know they'll pull up you know some studies which others don't show this but that sex partners don't correlate really with divorce with men or marital happiness with men um so yeah i'm curious what you think on that yeah i mean i can't say i completely disagree i you know i think about um like if a man was to go see a sex worker or go to a rub and talk he doesn't have a, have any emotional connection to that person. It's strictly physical to him, but it's still sin, right? It's still sin. It's lost in God's eyes that, you know, that person that's doing it is still a child of God, someone's daughter or sister or mother or whatever. So it's sin. But I don't think you can deny the fact that it's different for men. Men can have sex without emotion. Women, not so much. It doesn't make it right. I do think there's truth there. I mean, even the Bible, when it talks about premarital sex, like in the Old Testament, it was like if a woman's found not to be a virgin on her wedding night, take her to the door of her father's house and stone her to death. If a man sleeps with a woman, he says if he seduces a virgin to be his wife, he has to pay the bride price. You got to marry her. Now she's yours. Like, and that, so it, it really does go back to the whole sex and sex insecurity. Women, Men want sex, women want security. We're the gatekeepers of the security, they're the gatekeepers of sex. I think, so to convince a man to not take sex when he knows he doesn't even have to give the security, which means responsibility, it's hard as, an, as a non-Christian to convince that man not to. Oh, you're never as going a to non-Christian? Yeah. yeah. As a Christian, it's, not, it's a non-argument. It's in the Bible. I mean, it, it, it's a sin. I mean, is it going to affect you the same way? Is it, are you going to have a higher chance of divorce maybe not but you are going to be held accountable for that someday you think though like the one thing like as someone who's uh gone through a bunch of women like yourself as far as taking your brain and turning off that variety programming 
Like how, I was, I've always thought like how these guys that go through a hundred women and then get married to one turn off that variety need. Yeah, that's like, I would assume that the results can't be great on that, and no, they're getting it somehow. Now, I they say comparisons the thief of joy, right? Like, so like you, you do have that, you have that comparison because you you slept with a bunch of women and trying to settle down with one can be really challenging. Um, for me, I haven't even had one, and it's not been fun. It's been lonely and depressing at times. I've definitely paid the price for the way I live. You know, God put me through a long wilderness season, so. Had I never done it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's better never to go to that height than to have to go to that height and then come back down and mm-hmm. and live at, you know, try to find happiness in just normal things that may, maybe brought me happiness before. So I, I think you can jam yourself up that way for sure. It reminds me of like heroin addicts. Yeah. And uh, I think it happens with meth as well. Like they, once you reach that threshold of dopamine, it's like all the other little things, the color of life's just kind of drawn out. You mm-hmm. don't get the normal good feelings you would get from a morning walk. Mm. You know, you don't hear the birds singing. You don't look at the beautiful sky and go, man, that's gorgeous. You know, you don't see these things. You know, so they don't true. hit you the way that they should. So true, man. It's like yeah, created. Even the family stuff, too. Like for me, I'm, I'm 50 now. Never been married. Never been in love. No kids. And I have... A lot of friends, I see their pictures on social media. They're always out with their children and sometimes their grandchildren now doing things. And it gives you that pattern, that rhythm of life, birthday parties and all the things, the kids games. And I don't have those things, you know, so being a player. They seem lame when you're young, right? You look at that stuff and you're like, oh, God, who wants that kind of burden? It's like doing homework. But as you get older, you start to see, like Joe was saying, the beauty in it, the rich gift that it is to have family and fellowship and see others grow and be a father and lead and have this wonderful responsibility that enriches your life and not to make you feel bad or anything but that's 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 what the young guys miss out on right we're not selling that or making it cool well that's the warning to them like right especially with a lot of the secular talk like you know you gotta like this is the crazy red pill some of those guys saying like you got to rack up a 50 body count before you get married you got to sear your conscience so horribly and uh, so it's like, want... okay, so how, you know, it reminds just... me of those people who are like, you have to go into debt to be rich, like eventually. It's same. like that same type of advice, like not necessarily. But this whole topic, what we're, we're kind of like, you know, talking around it is that delayed gratification, which you brought up, and living a Christ like life, a life of discipleship and a life of suffering. And what that means within its agency is that a lot of the most quality events and things that you will do in life, you probably will not feel that dopamine kick while you are doing them. They will be delayed sometimes until death. Right. Um, and that's the idea within even having kids. Like yeah. you saw your, your friends while you're out there at the club having drinks and having a great time. And they're over there at home having kid time. You know, maybe the kid's one or two years old and vomited sick and like, they're not getting sleep. And you're like, wow, thank God that is not me. Right. But now in your older age, you're like, I don't have a legacy. I don't have my family. I don't have these deep bonds in this. Like I'm, 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 you feel like that. You have a 50 body count, bro, though. That's what you got. (laughs) And then everybody else has, how's that body count treating you now? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I think it was a movie that same game as you grow as a man. It's not, it's not something you can. And when you do see the older guys who are still the playboys, we know a couple and God bless them. We know we're working on them. Uh, It is depressing to see them, you know. 
I think it was the movie The Wedding Singer. We talked about, you know, old Fonzie. Nobody wants to see an old Fonzie. Yeah, right? exactly, like, dude. It's cool when you're young. You know, at least you think it is. But if I could go back and do things differently, I would get married young. I would get married and I'd have kids. You know, in all honesty, I wouldn't. Because, again, it's, only, it's fun while you're doing it. But then after all, there's consequences to it. And mm-hmm. for me, that's how they played out. I didn't assume that I would be in this place. In all honesty, I didn't think I was going to be this old without a wife. Now I still have options. I keep myself in good shape and I still have, you know, girls that are interested, thankfully. So I still have hope, you know, that I, and I could probably marry a girl that was in childbearing age and have some kids, but it doesn't change the fact that if, you know, if I were to have kids, I'm going to be a grandpa by the time they're, they're in, in high school. So I, again, if I could go back and do things. Well, it's good for guys to hear that. And that's why I think the productivity of you expressing this, not in like a, well, there is a lamentation. It is, it's real. You know, it's like this time has passed. These, these seeds have been sown, but to hear that from a guy who's well put together um, really is not like them watching their, you know, most typically probably out of shape uncle or whoever family member that's done these things. And they're really not making it look great, you know? And uh, so it's good to hear that side of things described so they can really get the full picture of what they're signing up for when they get their heads in the 50 body count or whatever they're trying to do. So they say, like Jordan Peterson says, who am I going to be 10 years from now? Am I working for that guy or am I working for this guy today? The yeah. delayed gratification again. Let's touch on some of those other points that from your 10, your list of 10, kind of the key ones you think are worth mentioning. Yeah, one of the ones was uh, better to have long-term friends and short-term sex partners. That kind of goes a little bit to what we were just saying where, you know, I've got a lot of beautiful women in my life that I haven't had sex with over, over the last, you know, 12 years. And and many of them I definitely would have slept with when I was, you know, living in the world, but I, and, and they added a lot of value to my life, starting my nonprofit. You know, there were so many women that were key in helping me get that off the ground. Had I had sex with those girls, I would have traded all that potential you know and all that all, all that value that they add to my life for 20 30 minutes of fun because that is what happens with sex regardless of what people say is somebody catches feelings mm-hmm. you know, usually it's the girl and and even if you're honest with them before which a lot of times i'd be like look don't sleep with me because i'm not looking for anything and they would be like it's okay we can just have sex and then you'd have sex with them and then as soon as you did wanted to have sex with maybe another girl not them you were the jerk guaranteed i'm like i thought we talked about this it was just the way they're wired doesn't matter what you said so like and then they would you would be the a-hole and they would leave and they wouldn't be your friend anymore so like it's good to have friends and if you're going to get anywhere in life and really get much accomplished you're probably going to need people to help you you know and women are 50 percent of the population in addition to the fact i think that there's something inherent in all of us if a guy out there sleeping with multiple women we know that he's funking up the dating pool for everybody Right. So and, and you might kind of look up to him a little bit that he's able to do it, but you might not necessarily like him a lot and be the kind of person that you really want to help. You want to help the nice guy, the person that's a little bit more humble and selfless. And maybe if that's the person you're going to do something for, it would be that kind of person versus the guy that's just going out and smashing all the girls. So I feel like it's that's definitely something that's just really practical. It's better to have long term friends than it is to burn a relationship with 20 or 30 minutes of fun and just having sex, which I used to do. And it does leave you feeling very empty at the end. You know, like I remember when I was, when I was backslidden, I was probably the most popular person in Baltimore at the time. I was kind of like running the nightlife 
And I remember being in like a club full of people and I, I didn't have any friends there. Like nobody really that knew me or I knew on a deep level. Every people knew my name and I knew maybe knew some of their names, but it was like my life. I was so depressed because it was all just, it was all so shallow. So, you know, back to what you said, I think that, you know, depth and relationships, like it's not just, know, you know, being known if, if it was just a matter of being popular then celebrities wouldn't be depressed because they're the most popular people in the world, but it's the depth of the relationships. And, and I think the depth comes from you adding value to people's life, life and them adding value to yours. So it's a simple, was, yeah, go ahead. It's a simple arithmetic. Sorry. I just wanted to back you up because a lot of people will try and rationalize their way out of things with their own and, you know, the human, uh, your human rights as a person, like you're free. It's like, yeah, you're free. But that's that's not the whole story, you know. And so, yeah, I get it, man. What you're saying, it's true. What would you yeah. What would you tell the, you know, a lot of guys? I think come and they hear someone who's, uh, in like your case, that ran, you know, had a bunch of fun with women, and now they're convicted on living a different life. That they're like, well, I'll kind of go through what you did, and I'll come to that conviction later when I'm 30 or something, 40, and. Yeah. uh like, what would you kind of tell those kind of guys? Yeah, I mean, people say that to me a lot. They used to say, well, yeah, it's easy for you now because you've already had your fun. And I'm like, dude, it's not like that. It's like heroin. It really is. You get an addiction to it. It's not something that you get out of your system. You know, nobody tries heroin to get it out of their system. Exactly. So yep. it, it's, it's better never to try it. Again, kind of going back to what we said, because you take yourself to a, a place that it's hard to live up to those to that again you know I, I saw i don't know why i thought of this but i saw paulie shore on uh the rogan podcast and he was talking about he's like man he was just reliving his days he's like i just miss it it was so much fun and dude i feel that a lot you know to be honest i look back on those days and i'm like and it's hard just to be okay with the everyday life mm -hmm. so i went yeah the best thing to do is it's like pandora's box not to even open it yeah, and that's that's kind of what I've explained it as because I'm I'm still a virgin, as Glenn always loves to bring up on our podcast, and I, I kind of view it as men in our circumstance. Like, I just know if I open the box, I don't know if I'm going to close it anytime soon, and sure. so I just kind of have that viewpoint as well. You know what I think helps a lot of the younger guys um, and people just with the with the world we live in, you need to be able to separate performance art which is from like real, genuine, authentic relationship, like what you were experiencing in the club. You have this performance art. It's an aesthetic you worked hard for, the most popular guy in Baltimore. Everybody knows your name. You go into a place, you're saying hello to so-and-so. There's plans, blah, blah, blah. It's this performance art. It looks like you're performing well, just like the Instagram posts or the TikToks or whatever, but it's not dispelling the authentic relationship that we all know exists. So for a lot yeah. of the guys, it's like, yeah, the 50 people, the 50 women on your belt, it's a number. But underneath it, there's baggage. There's huge baggage. There's huge yeah. payment that you're paying. There's a there's a your bank account of integrity is being lowered every time. You don't just fill that up again. Those that's in your memory bank. That's that's what you just did to your soul. Like it's not something you can just remedy, you know, go be like, oh, I'll find a better job next year and put more money in my bank account. It doesn't work that way, does it? Well, here's the thing, and this is what it really breaks. I mean, I think it's the most powerful argument is, is that everybody's doing this, right? Everybody's having sex outside of marriage. So the stat that I read, or 
years ago was that only 3% of people made it to saving sex for marriage, only 3% of the population. So if that's the case, right, and everybody believes that you got to try before you buy, that's what everybody's told me. You got to take a car for a test spin, right? That's what everybody says. If that's the case, then why is the divorce rate 50%? Because that's what everyone is doing. Everyone is trying before they buy and 50% and of the people are getting divorced. And what I would argue is that of the other 50% that does don't get divorced, what percentage of them are actually happy? Because I don't think it's a, I think a lot of people stay for the wrong reasons. I, well, no one says it's the wrong reasons. They stay for the kids. They stay for the finances or whatever else. But they're not because they're happy necessarily. So that just tells you right there, if you go about this the way that everybody else does, then your chances of being happily married are not good. They're, they're actually quite slim, maybe one in 10. So you have to be smarter, though, than the average bear. I mean, be honest, you have to be you have to be smarter and think, OK, well, if 97 percent of the people are, are going out and having sex before marriage and and they're getting these results, why am I going to be different? What am I what am I going to do different than everybody? Well, else? we do have data on like virgins marrying each other have the by far highest marriage satisfaction rates and divorce rates. So like it's like a Sex slam dunk on that data. Sexual satisfaction, all of it. They do better across the board and everything. Yeah. yeah, they don't have the, you know, it's basically ignorance is bliss, I think. Yeah. Well, people don't want to hear it when you say that because I mean, numbers don't lie. So, mm -hmm. how do you explain that? It's, it's basically a direct correlation of body count to negative marriage outcomes. And it's just, especially for women, it is also like they, they'll try to say some like studies like men, it doesn't really matter. But I've seen other studies where it does matter. It's just not as steep of a decline for men as it is women. So yeah, in the end, it matters. I think for the men, it's going to be it's going to be the fact that if you're not leading with finding a wife, because the difference is now, I'm not thinking about getting married. I, I have to get to the point. Even if you're not committed to saving sex for marriage, if you know in the back of your mind that eh, maybe we'll have sex, like unless you're like really bought in, I feel like to the point sometimes like I might die if I could, you know sin again in that area because i've built up this platform and i've made so much content around waiting so i've been very protective of that so the way that i evaluate a woman to go out with is completely different than i did before i'm not so you're not even screening them on the same level so the chances that you're going to find the right girl that's actually going to be that good wife to you and make you happy long term is good because what you'll do is you're going to lead with your your penis or on some <laughs> level on some level you know, unless unless you know that you're not getting a payoff, there's no way we're having sex. So there's there's no payoff unless we get married. And now you're screening differently, and there's a much better chance that you'll actually find that one. In addition to like, if you rack up a 50 body count, you are funking up the dating pool for other men, right? Because the same guys that will tell you to do that will tell you to find a girl that's got a low body count. So how that, does that work? That goes to. Uh, uh question here that katie just dropped on glenn's live stream about an hour ago a guy asked isn't it unrealistic for a high body count guy to demand a low body count girl if, when they don't hold themselves to that standard just curious yeah. what you think on that i mean it, you know she's got a point but i think i think a lot of times women don't mind you know i think one of you guys had sent me a message about that before where it's almost like and I put this on my dating profile recently that I was saving sex for marriage. And I feel like I got less interactions because of it. Oh, yeah. No, definitely get you less. On some on some level, women are attracted to, to a bad boy. Um, but, you know, she does have a point. You know, it's not any less in. 
for a man to go out and be sexually immoral than it is for a woman. But the, it is different. I think the difference is this. this is what I've said before. It's pissed off is for a man to be promiscuous, he probably has to achieve some level of status in order to go out and, and have sex with multiple women. For a woman to be promiscuous, she just has to lack discretion. Any woman can be promiscuous. Every woman can be promiscuous in the world. All she has to do is lack discretion. That's it. Not so much for a man, which is why I think women even look at it differently because, you know, you know, even the best man, even a complete stud can't go out and sleep with a different woman every night. Probably he's going to be some nights he's going to strike out, but a, a woman can go out and have sex with 10 different men every day, regardless of what she looks like. So I think that that's probably why the world looks at it different. It doesn't make it any less wrong in God's eyes, but I, I don't, I don't think, and even women look at it different. Like a woman, one of the first things that she'll call a, another woman that like she doesn't respect is a slut, even if she doesn't know her, right? That's that nobody says, oh, that guy's a, a slut. Like we wouldn't say that to another man, be like he's gay or maybe he's an asshole or whatever. The, but we're not going to say he's a, he's a, he's a slut. Oh, he sleeps with all these, you know, more likely not as a way to cr criticize. Him. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but I'd love to hear it. I agree. I think that um, I struggle a lot with Christian men specifically, and I'm only saying this for Christian men because it applies to our um, being renewed and, and being new creatures. Like the whole biological, rev like be us being biologically inclined and this excuse that guys use says evolutionary biology, we need to plant our seed everywhere. And this is why I'm wired this way. And uh, once you're crucified with Christ, you're supposed to believe you're a new creature. And with all that comes a whole new list of things you identify with. You're, you're carnal. You're supposed crucified. Paul says we're crucified with Christ and then risen with him. And so it's like, I don't think that, I think they're just making themselves uh, excuses so that they can feel like, yeah, I'm a man, so I'm not pair bonding, right? The oxytocin, or they start to use these scientific explanations for why sex does not matter as much to us. But if you're a believer, it's incredibly important. I mean, look at how Christ modeled uh, the church, the bride of Christ. What is the procreate? The consummation is meant to procreate, right? You do that with two people, then you have fruit, right? How much more sacred does it get than that? It doesn't. Yeah. It, that's exactly yeah. what we're doing. We're put here to do. So if you subscribe to that belief, then you need to expect change, you know. And I just see a lot of Christian guys struggling with that excuse. You're like, oh, I'm just made this way, and it's like, well, no, you're you were made that way. To but go you're born again here, so it's different. You got to claim it. You got to speak the new truth of who you Let's are. Let's say you did that, like and, her, to her question, like if you did that, but your past is full of a giant body count. Do you is it still fair? Do you expect a low body count wife? Is yeah, it still I, fair? Like, yeah, is it fair, man? Dude, yeah, I'd say I it's up to the wife if she's like, you know. Yeah, and that's that's my answer. It's like it's really like men have a preference for that. It's up to the women to enact that preference on men. It's not right. our problem that it's quote a double standard. It's just the reality of our pre our preferences are different. Be different if you uh, went yeah. out there just expecting that. Like then you're just an asshole, man. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't go out and marry a girl that had slept with as many men as I slept with women, there's no way I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't respect her because again, when a woman sleeps with a high number of men, it usually speaks about the, 
the way she, the value that she sees in herself. And she means she lacks self-esteem in some level. And maybe yeah. you could say that it could be true for men too, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the same. You know, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Well, um, I want to push back a little bit on, um, we kind of brought this topic up because a lot of the red pill guys would be like, you know, keep really healthy, get the six pack abs, make the money, um, you know, build this frame up where you're pretty much doing well on every other aspect of life, but women and be a rampant, you know, fiend with women, if you will. And that's okay. And I'm sure you can attest to this when you were out there living that lifestyle how can you focus on Christ if you're being driven by the desire, which is the highest, most, you know, primal desire, our sexual desire, right up there with food and water, especially as men, because we have testosterone, we're driven highly to go hunt, to procreate. Yeah. That's why we have to control ourselves from murdering, but I digress. Um, <laughs> how can we focus on Christ with both eyes and our heart and the truth of what Christ is, if we are have been blinded by this desire for these women, because it's a very powerful desire. And I don't think it's the way God made us in his image, right? Yes. So yeah. yeah. I, I just don't feel like a lot of these guys are taking the truth on that because well, I even when I was Christian, young. How many Christian guys though? I think we're talking about the secular guys like saying that. How I just saying God's guys? image. You're made in God's image. I'm I'm just applying that as a blanket statement uh, to Christians everyone. and non-Christians. Well, they're, he created, they're he created all. Things. Yeah, the non-Christians though, they're not going to care about that. But well, I think that they do. I think that it starts when you're a young man and you open up that first, you know, porno magazine or you see something that you shouldn't see and you know innately there's a bit of guilt there. Now maybe these guys have went so far that they don't remember that. That, that greenhorn moment of guilt. And then they were kind of indoctrinated past that to not give that credibility. But I guarantee you, every one of them had that moment where God's image and the spirit and the law, the law that God wrote on their hearts spoke out to that action. And it knew inherently this is wrong. Mm -hmm. This is not the same thing as murdering the elk out there. You know, I'm murdering my brother or I'm murdering something. This is not the same killing. Like, this is not yeah. the same, you know. I heard somebody say, uh, I bet you no one ever said at Hugh Hefner's wedding, uh, Hugh Hefner's funeral, that at least he's in a better place. <laughs> I thought that was funny because it's got a dual meaning. But I'm like, look at, you know, you, okay, Hugh Hefner had a lot of sex, a lot of flying, I'm sure, but... Did he live a great life? I mean, that's kind of the question. I think from a, from, for a Christian standpoint, we have to look at this from an internal perspective because I think like you're saying, guys will say, well, it doesn't come back. Nobody's going to think negatively of me. Maybe they'll think obviously very highly of me if I go out and have a 50 body count. And I won't get the divorce you know, rate thing and all that. But again, is it going to, are you going to fulfill the purpose that God put you on this earth for? No, probably not. Right. It's going to hurt your witness. I know when I was living in the world, so I, I was actually leading a Bible study in a bar in a nightclub, and right on, dude. and it. it was great. It's like fifty people about <laughs> Fight Club, and like there were strippers and drug dealers coming to my Bible study. We were in purpose driven life. We would go out and feed the homeless. It was amazing for wow. a little while. That I didn't have, cool. I, yeah, I didn't have good accountability. I ended up having sex with two of the girls, two different girls, about a month apart, and I didn't tell anybody because I, I knew it looked bad, and and some people It'll found out. Rise, like, Zachary Rice. 
Were they in the Bible study? Yeah. So oh, wow. <laughs> so they when people found out about it, they confronted me, and I that's when I sat down from leading it, and then I just spiraled and um, you know made a made a mess. And uh, but I you know I I couldn't talk about God, and I knew people knew here I was. I was tr- really trying to make this difference, and the devil got me. But I just felt like so bad about myself. I like, and maybe it was the devil condemning me, but also knew I, I had no, I couldn't say anything. Nobody was going to listen to me anymore. They knew what I was doing. And it's like, so I had no, I had no witness anymore. So like the devil took several years of my life. Now I've done some great things over the last 12 years, but it was only because I, I was really walking it. I was, and I was talking about how f- freaking hard it was at times. I, I was blogging all the time about my life and, some of the frustrations that I had with God and all that, but it wasn't easy. So like, I think from a Christian man's perspective, we have to look at this from an eternal perspective because we are going to, one right. day there's going to be rewards or maybe not rewards. Maybe there's going to be punishment. There will be. And and I want to hear well done, good and faithful servants. That motivates me. But even from like a non-Christian man's perspective, like, like David Lee Roth, he was on Rogan's podcast not long ago. That dude's like 60-some years old. He was this huge sex symbol in the early 80s, lead singer of Van Halen. I mean, probably had sex with who knows how many women. But if you look at him now, he looks like a crazy old man. He was never married, no kids as far as I know, no family. He just lived a very shallow, like shallow selfish life. And at the end of his life, what's, what is there? You know, mm-hmm. except for a bunch of – yeah, he had some good moments, I'm sure. You know, he had some fun nights. But at the end, what's what is his legacy? What did he do? You know, will he hear, "Well done, my good and faithful servant"? No, probably not. So, like, and maybe he's not even thinking that way. It is hard to convince a non-Christian man to walk this, which is why I always start the conversation with them in the way that I did. It's it goes back to the fact that you'll probably get stuck in a sexless marriage. You're probably. But we're all stuck. shepherds, man. I mean, like. His legacy is DLR's great leads. One of the Love best Van Halen ever. Brother. I mean, he Love just him. dropped bomb after bomb. The guy was a badass genius. And he has a legacy of music. But what the Bible teaches us is what gives us fulfillment is being shepherds. You know, we're we're meant to, to great have things grow. The great discipleship. Like this small Bible study. I mean, the United States. I'm reading this book by Eric Metaxas. It's called Letter to the American Church. He talks about the American church just being fixated with evangelism and that if they can get one person to say one prayer, you know, and it's like, then you've done your job and they could die tomorrow. So it's that's the most important thing. But we forget, you know, like our what we get as men, our reward is in discipleship and it's way harder. You got to yeah. sit there with a guy and you got to sit there for years to watch him grow. And that is the bedrock of the church is discipleship deep bonds that are strong that can face any storm man because you've done the work the dirty dirty work the messy work of church and that's what men find their legacy when you like uh i follow this guy he's a wonderful uh sort of one of our our spear spear tips for muslims his name's david wood he's actually a psychopath tried murdering his dad with a hammer and he has a family now and he loves he's learned how to love like his testimony as far as a person learning how to love and being transformed by love, not knowing how to love, being a psychopath. It's amazing. But he led, um, what's the name of the guy who's the Muslim he led? He died of cancer. He wrote like, oh, yeah, uh, Nabil, 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 right? You, Mike. And yeah. he worked with that guy, <laughs> how long was it? Four or five years? Four years four, in college. Four years in college. I mean, real discipleship. I mean, they slept in the same dorm. 
they they well, God works like that because that's what made him into the beast that he yeah. was because Nabil but that's was some, some of David's legacy sharpened. yeah and that's yeah. some of David's legacy like he looks at Nabil he's not with us God bless him but he wrote these books the outreach to the Muslim community from that kind of due diligence taking the Great Commission seriously not just with a simple prayer that's a legacy we can have we could be spiritual fathers I'm sure that's where you get a lot of your uh you know that sensation of the kingdom pushing the kingdom forward having spiritual sons that is a real legacy dlr he has some platinum records and people will be sucking on his wang forever for all of his prowess in the music but the truth is there's a pathetic thing a that we can legacy. all see yeah. yeah if a man doesn't have that family or that like we said that spiritual family discipling we see that as a huge deficit in his character i mean we do yeah, one I thing it. i wanted to point out rob that you brought up which i think is is really really important um john's reading letters to the church by uh, metaxas on i am reading the cost of discipleship by uh, dietrich bonhoeffer metaxas also wrote the introduction to it give like a small um synopsis of this man's life i recommend it highly to anyone who's listening um he goes into what he calls cheap grace and it's his idea of what's consumed the modern Western church in the idea that you can be saved without obedience. And there's this, there's this juxtaposition between obedience and belief and that you can, you, you, and belief, you can kind of put faith in there. Right. And he says, well, you can't obey unless you believe and you don't believe unless you obey. Mm -hmm. So, he brings the young ruler, the rich young ruler, and he writes extensively about this man. And he writes about Peter. And he writes about Levi. He writes about these people Jesus saw on the road or walking around doing his mission. And he would look at them and he'd say, follow me. Right? right. And there's no, what, what he was asking for them was obedience mm -hmm. to the mission, to yeah. discipleship. And, we don't always have this logical, rational delineation of what to expect. Sometimes God just calls us many times just to obey, to believe yeah. and obey. Yeah, and we have a huge list of uh, people like, I want to know God's will for my life. And they have this sort of arrogance when they first are reborn. I see it a lot. Like, what's my anointing? Am I going to do evangelism, preaching? You know, they, they have like these five low-hanging fruit as far as their anointing. It's like the, the Bible is completely filled, filled with his will for your life. But it's it seems boring and monotonous and unexciting. But that's what Paul calls the endurance that creates character. You have to yeah. endure these things to create a character so that you can have agency in the world on behalf of God. He can work through you. Um, Metaxas brings up a really cool story, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but I'll do my best here. So he brings up a guy who's walking a tight wire in between like a, a like a massive like the Grand Canyon. Right. He's got a bunch of people sitting around him watching him and he walks it a couple times back and forth. And then he walks up to a wheelbarrow and he grabs it and he asks him, he's like, how many of you people think I can walk this wheelbarrow across this tight wire? And everybody's like, yeah, you know, I think you can do it. I believe you can do it. So he sees one guy in the crowd and he's like pretty serious he's like yeah i believe you can do it. he's like do you believe i can do it and the guy's like yeah sure so he's like well how about you get in this wheelbarrow and i push you across and that's 
where things get real. People are like, well, do you really believe he can do it or not? Where does yeah. your belief really stand? You know, and that's where the Christian, this is what Eric Metaxas is kind of describing the Christian dilemma, which is the same thing we have as men and trying to orient ourselves in a value structure that gives us legacies. We say this stuff, but none of us are getting in the wheelbarrow. You know, it's like a lot of these guys will use all these excuses and say, well, I can't get in the wheelbarrow because it's too cold or, you know, I have my wife over here. Uh, I got to leave, you know, me to get in a meeting. And it's all just a cop out, man. It's all just a cop out. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about one thing, an analogy I used to use before was it, imagine. And this is what the Manosphere guys are really notorious for. They talk about the world and how the world is burning. You know, everybody's aware. But then they 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 bring marshmallows to the fire. That's what they do. They just mm -hmm. do things to benefit themselves. It's, it's it's almost like imagine if there was a city and everybody was on welfare. Nobody was going to work. They were just taking the free checks because the government was giving them out. And therefore, no one was actually self-actualizing. They're not reaching their potential because they're not working and they're getting the free handouts. Some as men, we have to be the ones to stand up and say, I'm not going to take the free check. I don't care if everybody else is taking it. I'm not going to take it because it's messing it up for everybody. That really is what we have to do as men, as Christian men. Absolutely. To, because the women are giving it out now, and it's so easy to go out and get get free sex. But we, it, it, everybody recognizes the damage that it's doing. It's the world bad place. So, like, that's the only way to turn the ship around, man. Is is some men are going to have to stand up and say, "I don't care if everybody takes it. I'm not going to." And and it's so freaking hard because. Man, I'm doing it. And if you would have had this conversation with me a few years ago, it probably would have been a lot different because I was more in the mindset of like the payoff, the girl that you're going to get, all that. And now I'm just kind of like, man, I'm just have to be obedient. I don't know if there's going to be a payoff. I'm not sure. And it's not easy. Sometimes I think I'm screwing up a lot, you know, because it, it gets harder actually as, as you get older, I feel like, because it's like you're, you're the, the dating pool shrinks, you know, the window's closing and you're like, man, what I thought was going to, it was going to go this way and, and God was going to reward me isn't happening. So it almost looks, looks good to go back to Egypt sometimes yeah. forgetting what it was really like, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. but I, I, and I don't know if you want to get into this part of the conversation for me, like I, I came across some information that at least I would say is opening where I was completely bought into, um, so like I was never very good at monogamy, like in my previous relationships, I cheated and um I, but when i gave my my heart to the lord I, I assumed that that was the only relationship structure that was acceptable to him one day god was going to give me this this amazing woman that would fulfill me and i wouldn't feel like that that was a real possibility so i was like i was committed to not having sex before marriage but i was just as committed to not settling so it was like two opposing forces that i was stuck in the middle of and you know, at times I was very lonely. I was you know, depressed, horny, all the all the, the emotions that I went through. But I recently found, learned, and I would love to talk about it if you guys want to, is that polygamy, a man having more than one wife, was never forbidden by God. It was actually, if you look at all the patriarchs, I know what society and Western civilization tells us. Um, you know that that that. We and there's scriptures that we use to infer that that was uh, something that was tolerated, I guess, let's say, for, for people in the test. But I, I wonder if that if there's men out there that that wouldn't be a better solution for 
than fornication or divorce if they've already married. You, I'm going to just yeah. I'm going to say one thing, then I'm going to let my brother take this because we had the same conversation with Rolo. Uh, but I will say, going back to what did you say? It's a euphemism that you used in the beginning of show me the most beautiful woman in the world. I'll show you guys tired of banging her. I think yeah. that applies to two or three wives as well. Like, I don't think it's going to, it's going to meet the need. I just want to throw that one out there. Maybe even if you have five wives, I mean, let's look at King Solomon. He was up to the seven hundreds. Like, I don't think you're ever going to get there. Don't think it's going to make it any easier. In fact, I think you're probably better off with one like Adam and Eve, but I digress. Johnny boy, you want to take it? <clears throat> Well, okay, dokie. So this is a tough conversation to have with people who are used to constructing arguments based on text and uh, the literal communication of text and submitting Bible verses in a certain order that express something uh, very concisely. Uh, so it's a struggle with those people because they are going to want to see that verse that says, don't cut somebody off in traffic, even though it doesn't exist. And we know it's wrong. Okay. Yeah. So my desire for them is to take on a different, and it kind of, I'll start with the way that you open the Bible as a believer. When you first become a believer, your instinct is to be subjective with the material. You're going to read it and think God is talking directly to you. And it's beautiful. It starts the intimacy of the relationship. You'll open up one page and be like, wow, that verse was just for me. And it may be. And that's the way I think God answers prayers. I think he's very, very gentle with new believers for that very reason. However, as you begin to walk, you begin to have a less. I use this word because um, I think it makes the most sense. But schizophrenic look at the church itself. Um, I use that word because schizophrenia is a hyper-rationality on a focal point that's um, unfortunately not taking in the big picture, right? So they'll think that the church is here now, it's in the West, it's this generation, blah, blah, blah. They forget that the church has been alive, Abraham is still alive, right? We have a living body that's been going on since Adam. And so what that makes you do when you start to realize you're part of this transcendent church is that you need to take an a more implicit view of the way Scripture is communicating. And so it goes something like this, right? When you We learn this early on with uh, like fables and, you know, uh, Hansel and Gretel, right? Uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, all these stories that aren't explicitly saying don't disobey your parents or come home on time or the boy who cry cried wolf, like, it doesn't end with the story saying, and don't scream about stuff that isn't really going on. Otherwise, people will ignore you. It's not explicit. The story does that and expresses the lesson perfectly with something you can actually remember. So the Bible does the same thing. It operates in the same way. So polygamy. How do we take a, an implicit view of that? What's being implied when we look at the Old Testament stories of men who engaged in it? What do we see? Abraham. He had several wives, right? We see all of the turbulence that was created there. Isaac, his son, he had one wife. We don't hear much about Isaac. Whenever in the Bible you don't hear much about somebody, it's because they lived a good life. It's 
because they did things right. In the very beginning, you have Enoch. We I wish there was, you know, chapters written about this guy, but all you hear is that he walked with God and God took him up. It's like two verses. So we get the bad apples because we're most likely a bad apple. So we're going to learn from them. So we see Abraham had issues. We see Jacob had issues. We see Solomon had issues. We see David had issues. And they came from having more than one wife. We see that happen all the time. So it's implied. We see it implied within the stories. Then you look at the way Paul took these stories. So Paul's a Pharisee. He had these things memorized. He had this implicit approach to exuding, exhuming the purpose in doctrine and, and teachings of the Old Testament. And he gave us in the New Testament this man for a woman. If you're going to be in a leadership role, right, you're going to have one wife. Yeah. Okay. So, and your desire as a Christian should be to shepherd, right? We should all want to be deacons in the church. You should all want to be affecting the program. So he's telling you, this is the way it's modeled. And then you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, one yeah. for one. You got one, you got a pair going on there. Yeah. Um, so that, I think it's implied all throughout Christian you, uh, our Bible, but to be able to produce a verse is going to be impossible, but you can't do that for cutting people off in traffic. You can't do that for insider trade. You know, there's a ton of different things that we know are sin that you're not going to be able to produce a verse. I, for. I also think God allows, especially during after the fall, allowed unoptimal circumstances to deal with the human condition that we were in. So, for example, like back then, there was so much war and chaos. And so I think you had massive gender imbalances, number one. So you, you think they would go conquer a nation that killed all the men. And now you have probably thousands of women literally without a man. And then back then, it's not like the women were these strong, independent women that could survive on without, you know, someone supporting them. So I think, you know, I think you had a lot of times where kings were literally taking in new wives because they conquered a nation and they were just supporting these people. So yeah. I, I think you had a an hand imp- banging them. You don't know. <laughs> well, you're like, you know, yeah, I don't think you. We can't call it. I mean, to say it's we know it's sin. Like you had said, there's lots of things that we know is sin, even if it's not explicitly stated. The Bible's very specific about a lot of things. It says women can't sleep with animals. I mean, it, 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 that's it's pretty specific, and it never was explicitly said. Actually, in Exodus 21, it says if a man wants to take more than one wife, it kind of outlines how he has to do it. If you read, um, and that was in the law. Yeah, he has to treat them equally. And And he can't deny him conjugal rights, which means he has to continue having sex with the first wife. And so I I can't think of one example in the Bible where something was right and not not a sin. It was it was right, morally outlined. And then later it became a sin under the new covenant, because that's what people will say. We're under a new covenant now. I'm like, well, hold on a second. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And God says he's the same today, yesterday. Today and forever. Divorce did. So he doesn't, huh? Divorce, uh, Jesus Jesus changed a lot of the laws, I would say. In, no, so uh, did eating certain foods. You know, a lot well, of that, things. We don't, have to, we don't have to abide by the Levitical laws, but doesn't mean there was nothing, as far as I know, that was okay and right in the Old Testament later became sin in the New Testament. Because that's basically what we would be saying about polygamy, because Moses was a polygamist and doesn't say anything about his life. I mean, there's not even a you know, an, uh, an example of a good monogamous relationship in the Bible, as far as I know. I mean, Adam and Eve, maybe if he had a second wife, she would have talked them out of it. I don't know. So it's not like you can say just because every relationship has problems. 
the one verse that I, and I would have never considered this personally because I was, you know, raised in America and I just assumed that, you know, it was wrong, but that deacons must be the husband of one wife. That was always the verse that I was like, well, there it is right there. First off, deacons, it says, or elders some, and other translations. Overseers and, and deacons, yep. Okay, so but that's still a minority you know, in the church. So it's not the majority. The majority of men that wouldn't apply to. But that word, the original word was mia. And that word was, it also means a or first. And it was used like, for example, the believers gathered on the mia day of the week, the first day of the week. So that, what some people say is that a would be that the husband of a wife, meaning they have to be married, or the husband of first wife, meaning they can't be divorced. Now, I don't know if that's 100% true because it has all those meanings. But if it did mean one wife, that would mean that Moses, the man that spoke face to face with God, who wrote the law, couldn't be an overseer in your church, your little 50 member church. Like, I, I, for me, I, I find that hard to believe. You know, you guys don't. Well, I see, for instance, like yeah, the king, king when when Israel wanted a king, um, because we I had talked to Glenn about this, like we had a new dispensation of law, right? So things did change. We are now the high priest. Back in the old testament, you had one high priest. So there's this shift in the uh, administration of the church. We have um direct communication with the father, we have unionization with the Holy Spirit. Um the Old Testament was different. So when I look at Moses, I'm like, yeah, he had a different set of laws that applied to him. Um, he wasn't perfect and neither was Israel, but God still blessed them despite their imperfections. So when they wanted a king, God's like, fine, I'll give you a king. I'm still going to bless you. You guys are going to divide. You guys are going to hate having a king. It's going to suck. But if you want to be like the cool kids, here's a king. So I don't know if it means that the new dispensation declare because there's a verse I read that's amazing. Uh, it's the closing of Romans actually kind of helped me to understand this because I was listening to these Muslims kind of get up this Christian guy's ass and they're like, well, you know, you guys don't know what you believe and your and your belief is just evolving. So you, you, you don't even know anything. So so what are you doing? You know, and it, they're trying, trying to make him seem like he's standing on a foundation of sand because it's like, right. what are you going to believe tomorrow? And so I was like, yeah, well, there's some truth. That's kind of brutal. But let's let's see what Romans has to say at the end of Romans 16. Beautifully said. Um, it says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So that talks of the veil being lifted for this second iteration of uh, closeness to God. Because if you have closeness to God, you also have uh, clarity. You have more uh, closeness. That intimacy yields more righteousness, more more of that beauty that we all yearn for so deeply, which is to know God's, to do God's will. And so that changed when Jesus rose from the dead and we had the Holy Spirit. So there is that refinement. We know more clearly what we're supposed to do. We know more clearly how merit, which is supposed to be handled. We know more clearly about all these things. Um, that's what I would say, basically.
Yeah, I mean, I'd probably, I'd probably also add that you're gonna number one stuff did change with the Jesus and the Old Testament law because Jesus made a lot of stuff way more strict. Like Moses was allowing divorce for all kinds of reason during that law, and he was like, "Wait a minute, you you're only supposed to be divorcing basically for sexual immorality, and that's it." Um, he also made a lot of the law like show that it it's not the physical action that matters; it's actually what starts in your thoughts. Right. So I would say like stuff did change pretty drastically as far as the standards being set, partially to show that it's impossible to keep those standards, um, and that's why you need Jesus. And number two, I would you know. You're going to have a heart like you still got kind of the to just take the golden rule like you're going to have a hard time with the golden rule on that in today's circumstance because you're literally fighting fe- like um, females natural mate guarding instincts like like I recently kind of heard about a polygamous environment. Uh, I won't name any names, but it is hell at home. <laughs> it is hell. And the the yeah. women like I think will sign up for that because the guy you know provides for them enough, but they like they're they're going against their their female nature on mate guarding like they have or they they do that stuff naturally they care about the investment of the man into their life, and so I think there's like you will put her through hell or the multiple women through hell, and I don't know if there's a way around that. Yeah, I think the culture. Maybe if they were, maybe if they were culturally conditioned for like like a generation or two, to like being in that type of environment, like it would turn off their brain on that. But how about you might be put through hell? That's right. That's right. Well, that's what I mean. That's what that household I heard about sounded like. Hell. There you go. Let me let me say this. One one thing I would. Oh, sorry. I wanted to add. I know there's three of us. Only one of you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I apologize, but. Another thing that I see in distinction between the temple being a physical place in the Old Testament and then the church temple becoming these bodies and the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out onto us, his church, really given us superpowers, which we should be using to to make heaven on earth real. That's our job. We, we are superpower and we have that. The Holy Spirit has been poured out onto us. Mm. That really changes that temple being this physical place out there. We get ready to walk into it to a daily thing, which you can see the Jews saw sin as an action physically acted out. They still do. They, they still do. do. Yeah. Us as Christians, Jesus makes the point to say, well, no, no, no. It's in your head. It's in your spirit first. This is where the sin comes. And that's what it ultimately creates a weaker man. It starts, we all know where it starts. We all know where weakness starts. And yeah. So I just wanted to. I just, want, yeah. And I'm, I, I appreciate that y'all are allowing me to kind of air this out. Cause I've been, I've been researching and thinking about this for the last. We've been time. down the rabbit trail a lot too, kind of lately. Yeah. Well, and, and I, you know, this is, again, I've come up with a lot of, reasonings why maybe God allowed it. And I, I appreciate that we're able to talk about it. Like, so one thing i learned is that Martin Luther, who you have to believe probably had a pretty good understanding of scripture, right? Martin Luther said that there's no scriptural support for a man not being able to take multiple wives. If he, as long as his conscience is clear about it, he says that he's quoted. So I'm like, there's that, that this, the person that really had a pretty firm understanding of, of, of the word, you know, said that. So, I look at it as this is like, okay, 
there's always going to be a more marriageable women in the world than there are men period like there's there's always going to be more women that want to get married because men don't want they, they could be selfish and just sleep with women or they're incarcerated or they're homeless at higher levels they die younger for all the reasons there's always going to be more marriageable women than there are men what happens to those women they just get pushed out of the sexual marketplace or can you fault them for going out and marrying or shacking up with some guy that's not a christian because there's just not that many godly men out there so i think that there's an argument that can be made yeah you go back to the old testament and you say there was wars so there was maybe a surplus of women i would say that most men that are sexually active right now most not even just out of the single men but probably most of the men that are sexually active are polygamous they're just not they're just lying Right. That's why they have all these Facebook groups? Are we dating the same man, Baltimore? Are we dating the same man, Washington D.C.? Thousands, well, thousands of women in these groups trying to catch the men, because the thing is, is when you and this is what, at least from what I've learned, is that monogamy enforced monogamy was a, a Greco-Roman thing. It was a law in Rome. It wasn't a law in Judaism. They were all polygamists, or that was the norm. And it became, it, it was the law that you could only have one wife, but there was, they all had mistresses and they, there was brothels everywhere in Rome, which is kind of like where we're at now. It's a freaking cesspool, 50% divorce rate. And a lot of the people that are married probably are, are unfaithful. And the people that are single don't want to get married because they are like, what? I get, I got one golden ticket. I got one. That's why they don't get married till 32 because they don't want to get trapped. And then think about this. If, if, if it was possible for you to take a second wife, how would that change the dynamic of the marriage, even if you never acted on it? I'll tell you what, you wouldn't be in a sexless marriage. Why? Because that woman wouldn't want you to go take a second wife. And that, it almost emasculates it. What I think it would do is restore patriarchy. I'm not saying that it, I'm 100% right or that I'm going to do it. But I've wrestled with this. And, I, and, and what Martin Luther said, going back to him, he said, it's better than fornication and it's better than divorce which is right now we have a lot of both. We have people that just, they fornicate. Cause for me, if I wasn't, well, so, I, I, if I wasn't so committed to saving sex for marriage because I didn't want to settle with, with my one choice, which I thought was the only way I, I burned with lust, but right. most men aren't willing to do that. Most men are not that sold out to Jesus that they're going to just sit there. And like you said, cut their balls off for 10 years and just wait. For this well, I would, I would also add, though, the same logic kind of on the polygamy side you could put towards fornication because uh, we've ha we have had this argument many times too. the the original. It, it looks like the fornication terms in the New Testament are aimed at uh, brothel use, not necessarily sex outside of marriage. Like If you look at the original Greek of what pornea was talking about or the term fornication itself it seems aimed at prostitution and so you could i mean it's the same kind of logic trail i think you could get to work your way out of not having sin there so you know that's the kind of the what, overall now prostitution is not a sin no i'm saying <laughs> fornication is aimed at prostitution because that was the issue so back pro then. so if you don't pay for it it's not a sin well How does it, it work? It, the, the argument is Paul's talking about brothel use. And so technically having sex with like your girlfriend wouldn't be sin is the arguments we get thrown at us. Uh, I don't believe that. I think, and this is why I be, my beliefs are so radical. I still believe in sex before marriage is a sin, but you could probably marry more than one and not be a sin. 
Now, the woman convincing the woman to do that, it's only going to be a small percentage of men that would be would would even be able to pull it off financially and be able to find the women to do it and all that. But when I look at like this show, sisters' wives, sister wives, people people bring that up to me anytime I've had this conversation with them, and they're like, "Look, and he's you know he's he's." They're all splitting up. I'm like, he was married to three women for 17 years. You couldn't even make one marriage work for five years. He's got 50 years of freaking marriage under his belt. And you're trying to tell me that he's wrong. I'm like, maybe, I don't know, but you can't even make one work for five. They're already divorced. All my divorced friends are telling me why it's wrong. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe. But I think if, if God did allow it, what I'd have to believe is it all has to stem from keeping the man in the home. Because when the man is not in the home, bad things happen to the children. Fatherless homes, 10 times more likely for divorce, you know, commit suicide and drop out of college and depression and all the things, right? So like, how do you keep the men in the home? Is it an ideal situation for a woman? Maybe not. But is it better than a man leaving that kid, those children or stepping out and having a side chick and lying? And because that's what's happening now in a lot of cases. And you're just, you have no responsibility for that girl. You're just having sex with her and you're passing her on to the next guy at some point. And it creates a cesspool. That's not what God says. He says, you got to marry her and then you're responsible for her. But now, let's look, be honest, like the driving factors for a man to want more than one wife is not because he wants to connect with more than one woman intellectually. That's like not the driving fact. It's just sex. Uh, well, that's, that's because you're. Do you thinking think that of that's true? Like, I was gonna say that you brought up, and and so did Mike. Um, you know, the troubled times where the, for instance, war, there's all the men got murdered. I doubt most of the guys are like, man, I'm gonna get that hot chick over there. Maybe it was like not a hot chick at all, you yeah. know. And he was just, that's a wife. I gotta provide this stuff exists today there's like this 20 polygamy thing there's like 20 million extra like eastern european women than men right and, and like what are they supposed to do the idea of polygamy and like having two hot wives maybe isn't like the real idea of like the foundation for polygamy well that was my guess with solomon's wives i, I got a feeling he's probably not even sleeping with he was the king 10 percent of them he's one of the most richest yeah. it was another world. thought i had is like you know that if you could live a perfect life you could go to you wouldn't need Jesus, right? Like it's a possibility, but it's never going to be you could never do it. Mm -hmm. I see. I kind of feel that way about the Old Testament where that law is. If you have several wives, you need to treat them equally. It's like you can never do that. You're going to favor one more than the other. There's like, you could barely do that with like the most basic things. You can, you could barely pour two even glasses of water. Like how yeah. could you? It just seems ridiculous to be able yeah. to like, oh, yeah, I can do this. One yeah. point you brought up, Rob, about uh, Red Pill calls this dread, I believe. And you were talking about polygamy restoring, quote, the patriarchy and not being in a sexless, sexless marriage because your wife has what the Red Pill calls dread. They think, oh, well, he might get another woman. And um, we hear of a lot of Christian men having trepidations about ending up in a sexless marriage and with we like to want we like to ask a lot of questions so what are some of the questions you would ask um to one of these people that ends up in a sexless marriage oh 
I mean, I, I do think that that's probably part of the reason why men are so hesitant to get married these days is, is that, but also the marriage laws, the divorce laws, that is, are heavily in the woman's favor, as you know, uh, Rolo talks about and others. Um, I don't know what I would say to them. I, for, I think for me, had I discovered this information or and and completely accepted it because i'm still not i can't say i'm 100 percent there yet i'm still wrestling with the idea i would have been married a long time ago there were women over the last 12 years that liked me that that probably would have been okay with it maybe i don't know i didn't bring it up because it wasn't an idea back then but i look at these women over the year and and i like them enough let's just say i like them enough I didn't think they were that one goal, like this one person that I assumed would come along. And I don't even know if this person exists to be honest anymore. Um, but they went off and they married like guys that weren't Christian or, not, or some of them didn't marry. They just had a kid. One girl had a kid with this guy that wasn't a Christian. He's kind of like a, a drunk and she stopped coming to church and I, it, you know, like there and other girls, one girl went through a, probably four or five guys over the last few years, most of them not believers. And I'm like, so I, I can understand why God would allow it. Is it ideal? Now, going back to Adam and Eve, no. You know, probably was one man, one woman, but God did make concessions after the fall. You know, like clothes, for example. People will say, well, I'm like, we, a nudist could make the same argument to say, well, we, sh we should walk around naked because that was how God originally did it. Well, I mean, no, we live in a fallen world, so things, things changed after. But... Um, yeah, as far as what would I say to the person that was thinking about like hesitant to get married because they were afraid to get stuck in a sexless marriage? I would probably I would probably bring up this idea to them that <laughs> I would send them the information that I discovered because I think that the way I'm dating right now, I'll be honest with you is this is after being completely sold out to the idea of monogamy, because I, again, didn't know that there was any, any other way uh, that was, I believe was acceptable to God, any other relationship structure. Now I'm dating with the idea that if I meet a girl that I like so much, that if I bring this idea up, that there may be a chance that I would want a second wife at some point, And she says, I'm out and I'm afraid of losing her because I like her that much, then I'll be monogamous. It's fine. Great, let's get married. That'd be great. But if I don't meet a girl that I like that much, that I'm that if she leaves and I'm like, okay, then then go. Then I uh, I may pursue polygamy because I, for me it was never about necessarily, um, you know, what people would think or, or it was only about being in the will of God. That was all I was trying to do. I was, I was just trying to remain obedient. And if that meant being abstinent and lonely, I was going to do it. But. Yeah, I, this for me, learning that changed everything. It changed. It changed. It changes the way you date. You know. So I, I think it sounds like you're there. saying two halves make a whole kind of yeah. thing. Like if you find a wife that maybe has great breasts and loves the Lord, and you're like, you know what, she's not, awesome up top. And the other lady's like, man, you know, she's got a great ass. You know, <laughs> I'm just gonna put these two together. And we're gonna be in. We're gonna be in business. Is uh, like what's going on? I'm just wondering. Yeah, I want to know what you're gonna get out of it. Because if they're both subpar, it just seems like you're getting more of what you don't want. 
It's not it's not just the physical, but there was But you would know you spent a long time doing this, and I'm asking yeah. sincerely. I'm not yeah. just making a joke here. Sure. I know a lot of guys and a lot of people, especially after you've had these experiences, I'm sure there's a there's a subconscious checklist that's unreal. Um literally unreal. So I mean for the women, wouldn't you say it would be they could be polygamous too? I mean, like how does that make any because sure. if there's no difference and they could be too. I mean, it's like well, I think the Bible is making the rules. The Bible, the Bible is really clear about what's right and what's wrong, right? The Bible says that adultery, you know how adultery is defined in the Bible? It's having sex with another man's wife, not another, not another woman's husband. Adultery I've heard all these arguments before, but I feel like if you, if you uh, work the mathematics backwards, it still ends up being men shouldn't go bang women that aren't, even if they're not married. And those other women aren't married because they will be married. They should be being married. And if they're having sex, they should be married. It's a consummation part. There's a sacred yeah. it's a sacred part of of marriage. It's consummation. So it, I mean Yeah, yeah. I think we're on the same page with that. You were just talking about polyandry though. Like why can't a woman go out and have multiple husbands? I'm like because the Bible's clear about it. It's really not I didn't make the rules. You know, like go go look it up or it's not, you know. Even How many more rules are there in the Bible that apply because i think that's very much an old testament thing i mean i i I, again i don't think that um i think it's sin for people who are oblivious to it and living in innocence of what the scripture is really implying throughout it you know and then i think like you can rationalize your way into a place where it's like yeah i can have two wives and treat them equally it's like you really think you can treat them equally you really think you can do that all right buddy go have fun with it it. no i bet you have to answer to god because you know you have to do that you know, that's the yeah. implication. I have to treat him equally all the time. So you're setting yourself yeah. up for more baggage and sin. Well, you got to love your your life, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's pretty hot, tall order, too. I mean, how many of us are actually going to do that? I mean, we might try, but more than likely we'll fail. So I'm not saying and, and I'm not even saying that it wouldn't be a disaster. It could be a disaster <laughs> for many people, you know, and you will have favorites and potentially. But. I'm interested in Joe's question. Like, what are you going to get out of having two sort of sub? That sounds so bad. It sounds so bad. But two of like um, the, I guess, that'll do pig situations, you know? What if you had a a child and and then you decided you want a second child? And the first child was like, why do you need a second child? Aren't I enough? Like, because I like being a father. And one of you is amazing, but two would be even better. Maybe three would even be better than that. I don't know. But. For me, I met girls that I liked, and but it wasn't because I guess because I and because I could in monogamous relationships that I did cheat, and I never wanted to do that, and I never wanted to be, I never wanted to get divorced. So I assumed that there would be one that came along that, you know, I was willing to bet the farm on, and because it di- it didn't happen, it led me to the, you know, I believe it led me to the place where I was open to the idea that maybe there was some other possibility out there and it like going back it could be a it could be a disaster but is it sin that's the part that i really i don't see any evidence for it being sin i see god said to david in the old testament i gave you your master's wives and if it weren't if they weren't enough i would have given you more when does god ever give you something bad like i don't i just don't i for me and i think there's probably men in your audience that are listening that are scared to get married they're like Maybe they're in the place that I was and they're just like, it's a big decision and they don't want to get trapped. They don't want to go from, you know, maybe having 40 flavors to one flavor for the rest of their life. Maybe it's a hard concept for them to get their mind around. I don't know. And knowing that not to say you'll ever do it, 
but that if if that they could and still be in the will of God might change the fact that they would actually be willing to get married and stop fornicating if that's what they're doing or if it was somebody that was in you know a marriage that was thinking about getting divorced maybe that changes things for them I don't know I mean I think that would be a hard thing to spring on your wife if you didn't kind of tell her that up front that might be a hard sell but I do think I do think it's a better option than, than fornication and divorce. And when I look at the world right now, it's, it, it's accessible, man. And I think people look up to guys like Tate and other guys that are out and they have all these women, even Christian men, they look up to them. Like on some level, there's probably a little like, mm, man, lucky bastard. Right now, I know that the things we talked about and it's very shallow and all the things, but there is a way to do it potentially biblically, not the way they're doing it, not going out and just pregnant impregnating a bunch of girls and you know, marrying them. And being responsible for them. And, and I, to me, I feel like it's almost like a mop and it cleans up a lot of the cesspool that exists now in the world. And maybe I'm seeing it wrong. I don't know. I'm going to stop. I'm going to interrupt just so we can hit these super chats. Um, Rusty Fuel is just dropping them all. Like a Thank boss. you, Rusty. Rusty. You're funding uh, everything all the time. Rusty here. Uh, the consummation is rich. about becoming one intimate unit, one flesh. Procreation is a secondary purpose. The single union is supposed to reflect our connection with Jesus. Quote, raised with him. Uh, see Rusty again. Peace. Right on, Rusty. Uh, peace and joy come, uh, come me from God, not marriage. It's good. Good point. Is marriage to the second wife a lovingly... Uh, a lovingly to the first wife polygamy is permitted in the new in the new covenant so polygamous families don't have to break up as they converted to christianity oh that's a great point right i didn't think of that um, it's just, it's the just polygamy like... thing might hurt your witness um i would say like i think objectively it's hard to make the case it's sin i think but at the same time i think objectively we all know the reason why the man would do it in today's world is not probably from the old testament way where i think it's very clear in the old testament a lot of that stuff was done like we want to marry the you know kingdoms together and so let's let, let's give him another one of our daughters and or we conquered this nation so i think i think the reasoning in the old testament is not what's the reasoning today which is really the man just wants more variety hmm. and uh i think like i think that's just going to be a tough like i feel like if that is the reason and you also desire like i don't think any man's having multiple connections at a wife level with multiple women no like, that's I don't think man, any man I, has the bandwidth for right, that i would like to bring up what i just reiterate what i said earlier in that bringing up that that sort of i think it's a euphemism i don't know i'm probably using that wrong but show me the hottest woman in the world i'll show you guys tired of banging her i think that applies exponentially to males so like if you had an extra wife you'd be happy with her for i don't know the honeymoon phase and then pretty soon she'd be wife again and then you'd have two of them and then you'd be like all right go to the next one and that being your motivation for getting wives would not fulfill that need that you're trying that's to exactly what i was gonna place. say so yeah. i don't think it's a good solution for that problem but like mike had pointed out old testament problems where there was like we're, we're we're marrying into families there's multiple families there's a small we're, we're trying to unify groups of people there's a warfare there's a bunch of women that don't have husbands are never going to procreate we need to get these wives to men to have families to put them so they can be fulfilled and have kids 
not you getting the hottest chick. It's more like I got to have another wife because we got these women here and she might not be the hottest babe. I believe that that makes more sense, you know, than we look at like King Solomon with a, with the, you know, a thousand harem. different harem, you know, women and concubines for him to sleep with. It just goes more to the fact of like, he couldn't even bang two chicks a day for a year and bang the same amount of chicks. You know what I mean? It's like, it's an unfulfillable appetite. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's insatiable. I agree. It's I do. I did. I did look up the Jewish, some of the Jewish Orthodox community, like in Israel, they will permit uh, polygamy now, but it's at the request. It's basically only at the request of like a woman coming to the priest and like saying there's no other men option because I think they have small communities. They don't have enough men even. And so it's like they will make exceptions for those circumstances. Yeah. So like in the Jewish community, that seems to be the circumstance. Yeah. And I imagine that's, you know, also why it was back then too. Cause the average per man back in those days couldn't support a family. So it's like, well, I don't have a family or I become a prostitute or I may, I'm wife number 12 of King David. So I think, I, you know, the Jews only stopped doing this a thousand years ago and it wasn't for any reasons that were biblical. It was because they were afraid of anti-Semitism. So there's that. Um, I, now, I don't deny men want variety. I mean, and I, I think that whether you act on it or not, I think that that's a natural instinct, whether, you know, the argument could be made that you should just control it, you know, and, and maybe you should. But I think there's an argument that could be made too. like a man, if, if you were able to have more than one wife, I think it would not really, it would incentivize you to earn. You would be, you would feel like a king when you came home. You wouldn't feel like this emasculated man that where the woman was wearing the pants in the house and, and, you know, like we said, you're potentially stuck in a sexist marriage. I just have a hard time believing that this is the best that we can do in America. 50% divorce rate. This is oh, the I best. Agree. So God, this is the best. God said monogamy. This is the way to go. And this is, we're, I mean. It, it's well, I think that number is kind of BS that they throw around the red pill too. Because I think you should be looking at a divorce rate of the demographic you're in. Like if you're like an upper middle class christian who actually like attends church on a weekly basis and is serious about their faith like that divorce rates like under 20 percent how many and, uh, what, what percentage of the population men in this country are godly you know godly men that would be a priest of their home not many i mean I'm not like 10, judge. 10 to 15 percent i'm guessing that's why yeah, I I, the divorce rates man the churches aren't teaching what relationships should look like you know i mean it's it's a breakdown that's systemic that ultimately lands in the lap of the men sucking at leading being big fat baby idiots and it's what happens All what percentage the of the women are godly women i'd probably say equal probably low is a lot lower today than it was 20 years ago definitely lower than 20 years ago but i don't think it's lower i think i definitely think there's more women that or, you know, maybe if it's 25, 20, maybe it's it kind of depends also what you mean by that. Cause we talk a lot about like, there's a ton of epiphany stage women. And, uh, I'm sure you've heard Rolo talk about that before. Uh, yeah. so as far as the number of like, real, like, you know, the 20 year old woman ready to get married and have children today, 
I'm thinking like 5%. I think if you're going to go the polygamy route, you probably want to have a bunch of kids, like a crap load. Well, that's what you Elon know? Musk is doing. He's basically living that life unofficially. That seems to be a like major 10. motivator. Because, I mean, realistically, try having one wife and a couple kids. See if you can handle that. Yeah, dude. And then go ahead and grab another wife and some extra kids. They start raising yeah. each other like Jordan Peterson said. How parentification, much. then you're <laughs> sucking at your job. Well, 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 be, well, the idea of parentification is you should be in a close fellowship. Like, we should all have families and the kids should be hanging out. We should have Thanksgiving and Christmas and weekend. And, like, the, the, the kids should be raising each other. And the hell's, I mean, that's the way the ecosystem of a true community, a Christ body, should work. I mean, we can't mm -hmm. fulfill all these roles ourselves. And that's the way the Western community really would have us being individuals, like this rugged individualism that has got nothing to do with Christianity and the Bible. Um, so I definitely see what you're saying about the mop and the cesspool and trying to work that out because uh, it, it's it's a real issue. And like you were saying, there's there's uh, there's there's a lot of this promiscuity, like a lot of the guys are just having mistresses, for instance, back in the in the, in the Greek Roman times. And there's always going to be that insatiable need. And us as Christian men, I think it's like, well, if you want to have a bunch of kids, great. If you can take care of a family, if you can do all these things and you can you can you can keep your eyes on Christ and discipleship. And really what we're kind of getting at, it's like, oh, wait, there's not a lot of Christians. There's not a lot of good Christian women. There's not a lot of good Christian marriages. There's not a lot of good relationships with Jesus. And there's not a lot of true disciples. There's not a lot of people that that have weighed the cost of salvation and discipleship and put it above anything and everything else in their their world we've 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 uh, degraded we've degraded what it is to be a christian so far and secularized it so far that this is what we're left with you know a cesspool for mm -hmm. lack of other words and we're pointing fingers and we're going like well who who and why and every but really it's like we're not putting christ and truth at the center of our life every day you yeah. know as much problem. and as hard as we should and i what are some of the tools you use to stay celibate and to uh, continue on point. your life for 12 years i mean that is that is impressive well that let me be crazy. honest I, yeah I, I i had two isolated incidents over the last 12 years one was eight years ago and one was maybe five four or five years ago um just you know mistake that happened one night so it wasn't 12 years straight but it might as well have been because it wasn't anything. It wasn't uh, regular sex. It was just like I tripped and I got up and I kept running. Um, but it, so it wasn't 12 years straight. It was six years straight. And then it was 12 years with those two mistakes. Um, but still extremely difficult. How was it? How hard was it to get running again after you fell? Oh, dude, it was. So what I did, I went live. I did a live on social media about it because what happened was when I made that mistake, when I originally backslid, when I was leading that Bible study, and I didn't tell anybody, and the people confronted me really harshly, and it, it just made it worse because I didn't share it. Mm. When I did screw up after I rededicated my life to God, I just did a Facebook live about it and just told the world because I was like, I'm nobody's gonna, for like, haha, I got you. Like I didn't want that to happen, so I just told. Um, so for me, it created a lot of accountability because I did, it sucked, you know, like I let people, I felt like I let people down. I was, I was pretty vocal about my stance on it at that point. I, it was before the first one was before the book. And then the next one was actually after it might not have been after I wrote the book. It was probably, it might've been right before that, or it was around the time I was writing the book, let's say, but I also confessed that. And it, for me, it was just, it, it, I didn't want to have to do that. So I just, I just, I've. 
I went through the pain because <laughs> there was a lot of lonely nights where I knew there were girls I could call to come over and make me feel better in the moment, but I wouldn't do it because I didn't want to have to confess it. So um, a good accountability, I would say, is one of the things that I've used. You know, like I do I, fear of, of, you know, the rapture and Jesus coming back. I do believe we're going to see it. And that for me, like I, I, when I got baptized in the spirit, I prophesied. And some of the things God told me was about the about the rapture and the second coming. And for me, it created a lot of fear where I just was like, I didn't know when it was going to happen. And I, I didn't want to lead people astray too, you know, cause I was pretty, I was a pretty bad influence at one time in my life. Not, not intentionally. It was just a nightclub promoter, you know, encouraged people to go out and just live for the do moment. You like, if you're dating now, do you have conversations like, how do you set your boundaries? Like, yeah. cause I'm, I'm, I've always kind of assumed like if you're, if you're a, used to having sex in the past you almost have to have stricter boundaries because your brain's just going to go into that mode immediately if 100 yeah no for me what happened was after i made that first mistake eight years ago i um well first i got sober for seven years because every time i drank i just you know not every time but often after if i was drinking it would lead to, to me having sex with the girl somehow so i got i i quit drinking um and the next time uh, I made a mistake was again about four years into it, and I, it was just a girlfriend was at the house. We were watching television. We had never even kissed or anything, but we were flirting. I knew, and I knew it was dangerous. And I tried to tell her like, "Hey, we should probably stop hanging out alone." And she made me feel like kind of like it could never happen. We're just too good of friends. And I let her I honestly knew it was she was wrong. But I let her convinced me that it was okay and the very next time we hung out we had sex we just started kissing and the next thing you know we i couldn't stop like once we got to a certain point i just couldn't even grab the emergency brake and i thought i was stronger than that so then after that i just decided i'm not hanging out alone with girls and i did that for for the most part for the last you know eight or eight years i haven't spent time alone with females there although there has been i've loosened it up a little bit um but not much you know so how does like that conversation was, go with them? Well, I didn't date a lot either because I, you know, I was, I wasn't in a place like in my life that I felt like I was telling me to date. I, didn't, I really felt like he had, you know, had me on the sidelines. It was just I was getting my nonprofit off the ground, so I didn't have a lot of time or money. I didn't feel like I could bring somebody else into that. So I wasn't, you know, for me it was a little bit easier because I was waiting, but I wasn't dating. You know, and I, I was talking to a friend the other day and he's, he's, you know, a Christian guy and he's having sex with his girlfriend. He was like, I don't know how you did it. And I was like, well, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't dating. So it's a little bit different once you're starting to develop those feelings for somebody, especially if you feel like they're the one, I'm sure it becomes a lot more difficult. And, um, so, you know, what I would say is keep good boundaries, know your why, like why you're, why you're waiting, make sure you're really clear about that maybe sign a covenant with God, which I've done many times, you know, like, I, I don't know if you know what that is, but I actually wrote it out where I make a covenant with God not to look lustfully at a woman. So that for me, that was like when I was trying to get like masturbation or porn out of my life, I actually signed something that said, I'm not going to look, you know, look, uh, look at a woman lustfully for 30 days or whatever it was. And, and if I don't, I said, if I keep this covenant, God op open doors for me that no man can shut because I wanted them to bless me and my business or my nonprofit because I was, I was struggling. And I said, but if I don't keep it, I want you to punish me severely and fight against me with the sword of your mouth, Jesus. And it's terrifying when you sign it because you're asking God to punish you. 
and um, it was an article I read, and they kind of provided the gas and the brake because you get the gas because you want the blessing, the brake because you fear the punishment, and and it worked. You know, definitely helped me get through some times where I probably would have, you know, where I was just feeling bad and and sometimes rubbing one out was made me feel a little better. It was kind of like my escape and uh but that covenant really helped me so that's something that i recommend to guys but i think i think if you know your why like you, for me i have a platform so it's a little bit easier because i wrote the book so that definitely keeps me out of a lot of a lot of trouble um but th those would be my my biggest tips that's what at least has worked for me that's awesome thanks for sharing that a lot of guys this yes, might challenge. be hear that stuff they this might hear. be irrelevant um maybe not biblically christian but Prostate health as you get older, not masturbating, not having sex. Um, have you? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, dude, I love that that you brought that up. It just made me remember something. So, like, sex transmutation is something I talk about in the book, and that was something from Think and Grow Rich. You know what that is? No. So it's basically like harnessing your sexual energy. It's the most powerful energy in the world is your sexual energy, and like Taoism, kind of. Like no, like no fat almost where you don't, you don't ejaculate. And what you do is you use that sexual energy to accomplish things to like, and, and people have done this throughout history, apparently like built empires, you know, using their sexual energy. And I really think that that actually goes back to God's original design with Adam and Eve, because God, you know, a lot of people think Eve was made at the same time as, as Adam and she wasn't. Adam was made first and Adam didn't get a woman. He got a job, right? Adam's purpose. He's like, go name the animals, tend to the garden. Eve came along later. And I really think that that's what God wants for every man is purpose before person. So what you do is you harness that sexual energy, you use it to figure out what the hell you're here for and then get started and then find the person right after and pull them in. Cause I, I love what John Etheridge says in wild at heart. He says, every, every woman wants to play a part in a great adventure. So your job as a man is to bring that woman into a great adventure. Give her something to do. Take her on an, an adventure. Most guys don't do that. Most guys choose their person before they know their purpose, and they never figure out their purpose because they never harness their sexual energy long enough, and then they just watch football and drink beer on the weekends to escape that gnawing feeling inside that they know they're supposed to do something, but they can't really figure out what it was. You know what I mean? Like that I think is common. They say men live uh, lives of quiet desperation. And I really feel like that's wise because we don't want to wait. So I think that that is the right path. And I know if I look at my life, when I was out pouring around, I didn't know what the hell I was here for. It was only when I stopped, I got obedient to God. I started meeting with a life coach. And then God revealed all these amazing things. And now if I bring a woman into my life or when I bring a woman or potentially women, <laughs> kidding, maybe, um, then I will be able to take her on something pretty amazing. But if God would have given me a wife 12 years ago, there was, I don't know what to do with her. Like we, I probably just would have got a bullshit job and uh, like just a very normal, you know, very bland life. So I think that that, you know, that harness that sexual energy, use it to figure out why you're here, get it started, you know, cause it's going to take some, mm, you're going to have to work late. You might not have time for a girlfriend or a wife at first. You might not have the money for a wife or girlfriend. Get, get your purpose, your mission started and then bring her into it. And on top of that, don't have sex with her because what's going to, that's going to allow you to do is think with a clear head because sex will cloud it period. It definitely will. If you're thinking like I need a wife and then you're looking for the helpmate to accomplish the thing that you already know you're supposed to do. And then you can pick the right girl. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe it involves traveling. 
and you got a girl that doesn't like to travel. Okay, on to the next one. So I think that that's the right the right order. Yeah, makes sense. And I think as far as like boundaries and stuff too, like I think you got to be upfront pretty early with women on your abstinence views because I think she needs to be on the team with you on that because if she's going to tempt you later. Like, I think, you know, we're all weak as men. So she also needs to be part of that barrier with her own convictions. Cause otherwise, I don't think it's going to work out long term. Yeah, it's good. Which that's a rare girl to find. Like, I've had that conversation numerous times with Christian women, and it's one that doesn't go over well. That you're waiting? Yeah. yeah like, so my experience, I think, has been, and we were, we were talking about this kind of offline, is um, Christian. Christian women that have had a lot of experience, they have this, I think, plague in the back of their mind about sexual compatibility because of yeah. bad partners. So when you really get their honest view on it, they don't really want to wait. Yeah. And at least that's been my experience. Obviously, I'm not painting the brush on all of them. I um, want that test ride. And curious, you've been with, uh, how does that work out to you now thinking about, because you've already had all the sex, so you know kind of the way people might you can kind of look at a car and be like that thing's gonna ride like a box truck you know <laughs> or like hey maybe that thing's gonna that's gonna have a nut you know anyways um that's what the fear you're talking about right well it's what the like it's a, what i've noticed the women because they obviously the man the man's in their leadership role so they're kind of you know they've had some bad experiences and they're worried about that yeah yeah i think i i wonder what they think actually because i'm they've never really told me but but i've definitely felt what you're talking about i i wonder if it's like they think maybe you have a crooked penis or you know like you're small <laughs> or, or whatever it is they think but i you know i guess i have to think like look at like someone like tim tebow right to me he's a real man that like everybody knew that guy could get laid you know, like anytime he went he could have smashed anything he wanted Tebow, yeah, and he chose to he chose to wait. So it's like, I feel like if, if you if you elevate your masculinity enough, that it should be apparent that the reason that you're waiting, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think anybody questions Tim Tebow's masculinity, or it hurt him. Like he could have still dated and probably married anybody he wanted, but he raised himself his his status to the point where it wasn't a question. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it does. He's got standards that aren't being uh, qualified by the world. He has his own standards. That's awesome. You know, being able to stand out like that. You see that with art, the greatest artists writing on the periphery. You're not going to fall in with the crowd. It takes, you know, those women want something that's like a, it's a general general article. They don't want something that it's, it's sad. It's part of that. I, I think thing. if you got the status, you can get away with it a little bit more. Like, cause obviously most chicks are like, well, every, no dude's going to actually wait till marriage unless it's like not his choice. Um, yeah, so like the average guy, it. the average guy is put like the average Christian man is put in a little bit of a difficult spot. Cause yeah, like of the cultural assumption that men have no interest in waiting. So it's just kind of, I think the assumption assumed in, then it's like, well, why don't girls want you? Right. Well, those aren't the girls that are going to respect the covenant anyway. Yeah, just, it's just slim pickings out there. You know, I read this Bible. I was reading um, Exodus. And in Exodus, there's a verse where uh, Moses says, if you lend money to a poor person, 
you cannot collect interest. And it was one of those things that I kind of read and was like, wow, that's interesting. First of all, what, how do you define a poor person? What is a poor person? And then what is, what is interest, right? And I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, well, we all inherently know who's rich and poor. Like, there's really rich people out there, right? And then there's really, there's poor people, which is most of the, the Pareto effect means that, you know, there's that 1%. And then there's the rest of us. And um, I'm thinking to myself, like, there's another one of those little Bible verses that uh, I don't think many people are actually putting into practice, you know? The Jews being the bankers, too. That is was, that, what does that mm, do with this? It's really just about cherry picking in the Bible and kind of like us, like, looking at things and, and sort of wondering, like, who is rich? Who is poor? You know, and like how we can kind of hide behind legalism sometimes to, to, and I feel like we're doing this so much in the church nowadays within like our, the way that we see what it is, the, what the church is and what our agency is in the body of Christ and being excited about it. You know, I really want to see us as men be excited about working out the kingdom vision for Christ on earth. And I see us being beaten down by society a lot, like we're talking right now, like with slim the divorce and the slim pickings and like, you know, all these things which are well, at least true. we're not getting killed and hung up on crosses. Dude, upside there's down. tons of other things. That you, you could can, say yeah. that the church was flourishing more when that when was Nero going down. Maybe. Yeah, versus, it almost got nuked to the ground, though, during that time. But it well, makes it, at least the believers that were doing it were doing it. I mean, how many people? are on fire the way those guys were. I mean, really those guys are ready to get crucified upside down. It's like the wheelbarrow. How many of them are willing <laughs> well, to get in a wheelbarrow? They also saw Jesus directly. So. Some of them, most of them didn't. Most of them did not. You know, I mean, you got those guys, but most of those guys in Rome, they did not. No, but I have a question. I kind of had a thought come up, like a hypothetical about the whole polygamy thing. And um, so like your motivation for getting a second wife, what would that look like? Under what circumstances would the church say, that's okay. You can go find your second wife, buddy. If yeah. I was in a sort of like pastoral position, hypothetically, in a weird world, and you got Tommy coming up, he's like, you know what? I just, I feel like it's time for a second wife. Be like, All right, let's, let's talk about your first wife here for a second. I, what you know makes what? sense to me is that you, Tommy would have to have the best relationship with his wife. His wife and him would be like, totally unified like the, the 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 poster child of a good marriage right in order for him to say i i need a second wife because he had to prove he'd be like okay you have one wife you have to prove to me that with your first wife you were good enough but then it kind of defeats itself because it's like well if stuff's so good with your wife then why do you want a second wife i think it would go because the other it, way i think the woman would come requesting it to the pastor like they do with the Jewish community. Then that would never happen. Not not the woman that he's married to, but other women, the single women that don't have a, literally has no other options. Do yeah. they really not? They they live in Jerusalem. Like, did they want to marry a certain Jewish guy? I mean, they could go somewhere to find a husband. There's, they have to be Jewish. That's the problem. Yeah. There you they go. Have to be Jewish. Yep. So, that's definitely not the circumstance we live under. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, it couldn't be. It couldn't be sanctioned by the government because that's illegal, right? But it well, marriage to, shouldn't be anyway. Yeah, it, it could be a commitment ceremony done by you know in the eyes of God, and I think that that's fine because 
when did the government even get involved in the marriages? I, I'm not sure when, but originally there was no ceremony with Adam and Eve and probably there may be hundreds of or even thousands of years. But, you know, like I go back, like I do see people going back to the guys like Tate or whatever, you know, like there's this guy, Justin Waller, you know, his guy that follows him around. Now I've seen him on different podcasts and this, he's got a Christian background from what I've heard. Take him. It's like he's looking at someone like Tate and you're saying, okay, he, Tate's a bad example of who to follow. What's the alternative? The, the alternative is so far away from what that is. It's not like it, it's hard to get to. It's not hard to see why men are having a hard time accepting it. You know, go back to, I had this group called the Waiting Works Community on Facebook, 4,000 people in this Facebook group. Guess wow. what? It's all about saving sex for marriage. Guess what percentage of them are women? Probably like 95. Very few men in there. I couldn't yeah, even. men remember. suck at, they dropping the ball. I mean, look at our families. There's no cool kids being grown. There's no kids conditioning and indoctrinating their fellow students. You know, they're just little sponges that are, I mean, the, the, I agree with Joe. The incarnation of Christ is largely dead. It's cheap grace everywhere you look. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. That's why there's so many slim pickings. If you're an Amish young lad growing up in Amish town, but you got a few girls and you know the history of those girls and they know the history of you. And it makes sense because the church has been the one sanctioning marriage and overlooking it. But like, here's another hypothetical. Say, for instance, you got your two wives. And you guys go out on a double. Well, it's always going to be a double date, right? Or triple date. I don't. I think. You know? I think in practice. It, but listen. So separate. you're sitting there, right? How separate? Then she doesn't know. I mean, oh. It's a, so let's say. Say you're taking both out, right? Okay. Beautiful sunset. Which one do you kiss first? <laughs> what are you going to do? Know. Triple. Oh, kiss. or it's a cheers. You got to bring them all in the same triple time. kiss. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So then they're kissing each other. Is that lesbianness? I'm pretty the sure sisters. in the the relation the, the relations. So it's it's sister for them, and then oh wow, that's a weird trifecta. It came yeah, I'm going. I'm stretching. No, I see what you're trying to do, and I, that's what I'm I pretty do. sure there was no third party sex either. There was it was pretty sure those two, but it's just conjecture. You're not well, having threesomes. No, I think that was out of bounds. For you had to it had to be separate. Like I'm not saying threesomes. I'm saying you kiss at a sunset. Well, I mean, it's like all this. There's all these different hierarchies. First, last, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's going to be challenging. It's going to hope you're ovulating at different times in the month. I mean, if you <laughs> wanted a second wife, it would be because your first marriage sucked, which would kind of disqualify you from having a second wife. Because if she's not giving you sex, that means, I mean, you're, you, I think ultimately. What like, happened there? Is, she, is it because she her, her bottom half got blown off in a suicide bombing? Like, that's way different than the Western is she just doesn't want to put out. That means that she's not adhering to the Bible. She's not listening to what Paul said about, you know, treating sex as as, as your deserve to your partner. Right. You know, it's like those are problems you should fix from a scripture point of view, not by having a second wife. You know, you should fix those problems with doctrine uh, unless she was like, you know, terribly injured and she could not, you know, and then then you'd probably have those really conservative guys saying, well, you just got to tough it out, bro. You know, you that's not on the table for you anymore, right? It's like, that's sure. I didn't think of that. It's kind of an interesting point. What? I would say to those guys, show me biblically why it's not. You know, like for me, again, I, I was married to the idea, monogamy. I was like, this is it. I'm just going to, and I, I'm going to wait. Very few men will be that committed to actually 
go through what I went through, which is basically 18 years of the last 23 of abstinence. You know, like what men are going to do that in the world? And we're going to actually ask them to do that. Or we'll just say, well, just settle, bro. Just pick somebody. That's what I heard a lot. But then what would have happened is I would have known I settled it and I would have been probably end up worse. And I think that that does happen. I think very few men want to be lonely and they just, they get married because it's time. And, and, you know, I've got a friend that's in a marriage right now, a sexless marriage. And that woman, his wife knows that she is his only outlet for sex. And she's big. Again, she also knows that him taking another wife isn't a possibility. Is she a Christian? Does she believe in the Bible? They Sounds like she does not. They are Christians. I know. Sounds like she's one of those feminized, like wearing the pants ladies that just is hell to be around. What does he look like? Is he overweight? No, he's not a bad looking guy. He's actually in the military. Rollo said something in Rational Mail. He said most women would rather. I don't remember the exact quote, but something along the lines of most most women would rather have a strong alpha man that they have to share than have like a, a beta man or a weak man to themselves. I think that's 100 percent true. And I think that the reason that 80 and this is a stat that maybe you guys have talked about this. I don't know. But 80 percent of the women are sleeping with 20 percent of the men right now. You know about that? Yeah, that's the assumed from dating right. apps. OK, maybe it's not exactly that, but it's probably pretty close. So that tells you right there that that is true. 80% of the women are sleeping with 20, the alphas. And they know that they're probably not their only one. It's, it's a cesspool. Now imagine if this was okay. Just hypothetically, imagine if it was. Of those 20% of the men, some of them probably wouldn't mind being right with God, wouldn't mind knowing that they're not you know, fornicating or sinning, especially if, if, if they're Christians, I would imagine. Would that, you know, wouldn't that help? I mean, the women, are, small the women are already doing it. I mean, Dude, if, if, if guys can't even handle one marriage and you're talking to guys with sexless marriage, like it just did, they don't have it's like sending a five year old into a special ops mission. It's like, okay, dude, you know how to work a squirt gun. This is kind of similar, but you know, you're just going to blow people's heads off instead of squirting them down. So it's like they can't handle marriage. What the hell is two marriages going to do like that? That that a real estate agent, the redhead dude with the goatee, who's always trying to flirt with the hostesses and shit. What's his name? Justin Waller. Yeah. That guy. Like, I'm sorry. I, I look at him describe his relationships and I'm like, you're very guarded and you it doesn't sound like you love your wives. I've heard guys who talk about their wives and he you doesn't like, have any wives. Well, I mean his mates, whatever, like you know, his family organism that he's created. Um I know what authentic love sounds like when I hear a mate talking about their their mate. I've heard it. And it like it just rings like a bell. You're like, that makes sense. And I've seen it and I hear it and I can feel it coming off of both of you guys. Um, I didn't see that with him. You know, and I just I just don't see how polygamy could work in a society where one on one marriages aren't working. Well, you know what's I mean, interesting? Yeah, sorry. What Keep percentage saying. of the population has that love that you're mentioning? Because I've seen that too, but it's so rare. Um but I would say, like, when we say things like that, I just don't see how it could work. I think what we're saying is that we we think we know more than God, because God, if you if maybe we don't have to live the way that God outlined in the Old Testament, you know, you're a jubilee and let you know. Be pretty cool if we did. We don't. It would be cool, right? It gives that gives you a pretty good idea of how God thinks the society should work, and He definitely talks about polygamy. 
And he says, if your brother's wife dies, marry her. You have to marry her. And if you're not, if you don't, you're a disgrace to your family. So like, not saying we have to do those things, but for God outlines it. And to me, that's, that's his idea of how society should run. Well, I also look at the implicit nature of that. Like, again, like marry her or look after her, make sure she's okay. Right. Make sure, you know, like take care of the widow. She would be screwed. Yeah. Yeah. So we're living in a, and, and again, like I look at the things that aren't explicitly said, aren't sin, like uh, tons of these things. Wow. You know, there's tons of them, stuff that's sacrificed to idols, and whatever. Jordan All Peterson of a sudden, says polygamous societies in human history have been the most violent societies. Well, look um, at the Muslims. I mean, it's pretty, I mean, a lot of fear there. No grace, no mercy. Uh, wow. You know, all excommunication, no grace for your family members. They don't believe the same thing you do. Look at the Mormons. They're not, there's no suicide bombers or Mormons. But there's know, not there's many. No, I heard there's, there's no not really, there. there's not it's a like, lot of them. It's but I'm just saying, little, they're not violent. They're not it's like violent. the Charlie Manson Mormons that do it. It's like the weird can, ones. I don't think we can equate polygamy with or polygamy with uh, violence. This is what was all the point I'm trying to make. But yeah, I think I, it's, it's it's at a society a whole level a whole level because what happens is, and this is from Jordan Peterson more so, is when a when men at a large portion of the population don't have access to any women because most of them are with those other men, they start getting violent. And I think today why we don't stay hungry, they got we don't have, hungry. I think today why we're not already seeing that is because they're sedated by video games, porn and weed. And yeah. Now red pill has become another sedation. Kind of, it's you know, another one. We'll just watch fresh and fit all day and get, yeah, let's women. get sedated in our hate rage and feudal. I was reading, a. I've read the prince a couple times and I thought one passage that stands out is when Machiavelli is talking about they used to in the feudal times they had now this wasn't always practiced but it did happen often enough for him to make a point of this is that when people were getting married the king would often sleep with the wife first yeah what's it called oh god it's in he would brave hearts the worst part of the movie yeah uh, he, and uh he's like you know what dude that if you cannot do so this bad. don't do this because you will piss oh, off all the guys and eventually they're gonna yeah. come for you oh yeah so there's i mean that's of course an extreme example of polygamy and uh, i wouldn't even say it's that polygamy because they're not marrying them, it's not they? really they're just, exactly. just oiling your just raping it's, oh, or word. graping sorry it's not really but these were kings and a lot of them were christian kings and they of course it's not a sin so what's the big deal here but um well that was, i think yeah another man's wife right so Oh, she's not quite his wife yet. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the idea is that he sleeps with her before they get it's married. Like no virgins are there. No, you don't get a virgin. But I think it really comes down to sex being the motivator and a man's desire. And, um, you know, I can see it at your age. You're like, you know, I don't, how am I going to meet a wife? And I don't, I, I'm questioning this because sure. I, think about like what makes a relationship important we think about like beautiful women age of course it's going to go away eventually no matter how beautiful she is she's going to deteriorate so are we um and then the, you think about like shared experiences like what you do with your best friends like my brother and i on the way up to mike's house today in the truck we brought up some memories you know we would talk about 
things that we did in the past, little stories and kind of reminisce about our journey and sort of that is highly um, enjoyable, you know, because you remember a piece of your character and then you remember a piece of their character and the story and this person and the and, and this this sort of miracle of life that god bless it's like us a ping with. pong game that you it's guys kind of both yeah it's awesome and like if you don't and that's why i think marrying it or meeting somebody at an early age yeah and investing in them is so important because like once you get older it's just like what do you how are they going to get to know you know all this person that you have and share these yeah. stories well, it's funny because people how do you, often how use do you that and open up people to, often use that in the to reverse be they're like you know everything about them there's nothing more you can know. How boring. Sounds horrible. You guys just bored together. Roommates. Ugh. You know, and it's like, well, it's actually really nice because they help you keep your sanity. They help you to remind you of who you are in your hard times. You share stories together. You share consciousness. You become one flesh. You're embedded in each other. And you hear stories about these women that turn 40 years old and they get on the desperate housewife craze and they're like, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. And then they realize that it wasn't. Yeah. You know, it wasn't all that was chalked up to be. And they wish they never did that. And I think that's the common rule with sin. You know, it's like it's very enticing. It's deceivingly enticing. You're like, man, it sure does look good over there. And we forget. But coming back to love, I read uh, Gandhi's autobiography. It's a weird book, man. Gandhi is not the guy you think he is. He's definitely more severe than you think he is. He's incredibly severe, man. He took oaths in his life and kept them, even if it meant like he was going to die. And I, was, I remember thinking about that uh, severity in it. And he had a wife, right? He, he got this arranged marriage when he was young. And he was like, knew that she did not understand him at all, like, she is the different kind of person like Gandhi's very thoughtful, very well educated. And she was a commoner, you know, and he could not connect with her. And he describes like finding love with her, loving her despite that disconnection and not having a condescension with her and just being like, you know, she's wise in her own ways. Kind of like George Orwell with like the, the common people, the proletariat, the wisdom of the proletariat. And, uh, and I was thinking about love because like when I was younger, I'd have girlfriends and I, it was, it was, I wouldn't say it was very easy for me to fall in love. Cause I thought it was infatuation. Like you don't understand what love truly is. You yeah. just know that you can't stop thinking about somebody and you're like, Oh, that's love. Like I'm, I just, I have no control over my thoughts and this person is just inhabiting my brain and heart. But then when you, I think love now that I, I've been married for almost five years now. And I think that it has a lot to do with commitment and devotion. You know, it's kind of like the, sword going into the fire sharpening it shaving it like you find love with the people i mean god made it so that you were attracted to the person and you know all those things but you get more in love with your wife as you overcome the issues that you that, that you're faced with if that's communication you know any of those things you do that together have you heard so i think that you could i don't really believe in the soulmate thing i think that um there's a that's hubris a, that starts up with men who've been looking for a long time because i was one of them and uh it's like she needs to be this or that and we kind of don't know what's exactly good for us and we don't know what love really feels like or when love actually roots in because you're like am i in love with her after three months or it's been a week or you know it's been a year and i, I don't feel that same honeymoon like there's all these weird qualifying gymnastics we put ourselves through which suck and it's like well if you're devoted i like jordan peterson said it's like you're locked in the room with them so just 
be that way. And then you'll fall and you'll discover well, love. I think one thing to remember about the Old Testament is they weren't marrying for love. It was like, here you go. A lot of times, yeah. And the women were kind of basically a piece of, like, a property. Like, yeah. Well, that's Old Testament, right? Yeah, yeah. Th that's what I'm saying. That's the, you know, if we're looking at a template of what it used to be, like, our idea of marrying for romantic love is literally within the last 200 years. Well, I think humans. romantic love, you saw it with Gandhi, you see it happen a lot, where they didn't really love their wives at first. They felt like it was, and he said to his father he's like this sucks you know like and his dad's like too bad buddy and he he found love with her you know and i think that god gave us a romantic thing like it's it's meant to be there it's an it's an instinct we have you know um so that's just love's a tough thing to distinguish and and there may be a woman that would make you really happy that you would kind of not it wouldn't be your first pick you know yeah. you know i I do hear what you're saying about love being a choice. I've heard a lot of people say that. I mean, it starts off with a feeling, right? Because if it was just a choice, then you could just go choose to marry the next girl that you meet. Just make it right. worse. Right? So it's got to start with a feeling and then become a choice. Because then once you're in it, if the feeling goes away, you're in it. But, um, you know, like I got good discernment, man. Like I, I, I know when God's leading me to do a thing or not. And I, I either thought one of the two things is going to happen. I'm going to meet a girl that I just feel so you know, also head over heels for him. I'd be like, please, God, is this her? Please, please say yes. Or <laughs> I, he's, I'm going to meet somebody and he's going to say her. And I'll be like, oh, okay. All right. And I would have married her. Like either way, I was good. Because I mean, if I wasn't that committed to God, I would have never done what I did. I mean, it was, being alone that long sucked. So I was good. And I, and I do hear God's voice and he didn't lead me to either. And uh, I, I can't help but think that there are other men out there that are, are maybe in a similar situation and they're not handling maybe the exact same way. Maybe they're just, you know, having sex with different girls and feeling guilty about it, asking for forgiveness or I don't, probably a variety of ways that it could go. But yeah, I mean, I, and I, I'm on, I'm on a couple, I'm on a dating app and um, man, it's accessible. I'll tell you, like there's so many weird relationships structures out there now non-monogamy non polyamory uh, all kinds of stuff and for me i'm like i need to see what the bible says and to me it's pretty clear there are certain things that are accepted and not accepted and from what i could see that you know polygamy is is one of the things that god was okay with not polyamory you know not unfortunately you know for some people homosexuality or and I feel like most churches would probably be more more likely to fly a rainbow flag out front of their church than they would be to accept polygamy, even though one is clearly in the Bible and one is not at least explicitly stated. Whether you agree it's right or wrong, it's not said. And and that, that's that's kind of sad, you know, like that that's the state that we're in. That's how you know, like twisted things are. But. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm still wrestling with it. Hopefully, I, I'll we're all wrestling it with it, man. That's what our job is to do: is sharpen each other's iron. Yeah, God wrestle with Jacob. Is wrestling with God. Oh, yeah. Hey, Joe and I are in the same boat. We're looking too. It's a it's a challenge. It can get very lonely and depressing. And I really enjoyed talking to you about it today, brother, and just your uh, your avant gardeness about your struggles. Because man, does that do all? That's the fellowship right there. It does a world of good for all of us to to help bolster each other and feel like, yeah, you're badass, brother. Like, yes, we're excited about this, and I think we need to do more of that for each other. Because just having this conversation has edified me 
great week, me brother. too man me i too. really appreciate it Rob. yeah thank you man you guys are studs man seriously Likewise. i'm looking at i'm looking at you two single guys man i'm like seriously to be to look the way you guys do and be holding the line the way you are man that's really inspiring and really impressive you're real men of god and that you know i take my hat off to you so. man all glory to god appreciate all it. three of you I, guys i can say that from the one married man in the room here <laughs> yeah all three of you guys man. i only didn't include you because you're married i mean no i get it and you're I, a and handsome I, man too so no well i get for you three i can say the here. same thing and, and copy and paste and i can say um i think it's really encouraging to for the women out there to see guys like you you know, and hear your guys' self-restraint and know there's nothing wrong with that and see some men that are really putting their Bible where their actions are, man. Yeah, for sure. It's good. Yeah, and we'll just keep preaching the message, even though it's really against culture, and that's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. But, Let's uh, keep fellowshipping, brother. I really uh, could, I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah man. Because yeah, I was in a relationship for 12 years, and I'm like, just got to the two-year mark like of being single and you know i haven't been perfect throughout that two years i was used to having sex every all the you know not every day but regularly you know like masturbating was not a part of my i hated it like i was not a jacker i was an effer you know right. like, i don't even yeah, know what that is dude uh so it's been a very it's been a i don't know like it's like going back to being like 17 because you haven't dated yeah. And then going into a brand new world and being like, wow, I literally have no idea what I, I mean, I'm used You're to having a wife. Cool. You know what I mean? I'm used yeah. to treating women like a wife and then looking at any other woman as like, sister. as a sister. Yeah. So like going out into the world and even just like having that sexual desire and like understanding what it is has been uh, very confusing hmm. uh, to integrate again, like into the dating and like how to deal with it. And um, so I appreciate uh, talking to you and and being mentored a little bit on your experience today because yeah. uh, it's definitely new territory for me. And I know a lot of guys are going to get that same feeling because um, it is lonely. It could be lonely, but hearing these stories about men facing the loneliness, like Paul did on his many roads, trying to spread the gospel. He was cold. His feet hurt. His knees were swollen. Elijah, you know, all the prophets like, here's a great message God's going to give me and no one's going to listen to it. And there's a lot of loneliness in our walk, yeah. you know, but God is meant to fill us and we're meant to be excited with our fellowship. Amen. We're meant to sharpen each other's iron. We're meant to feel like Paul says, do not be slothful with your zealousness, you know, and this is how we get it up. This is how we get it going. Yeah. So, yeah. Indeed. Well said. Awesome. Well, Rob, where can uh, the listeners find you? Sure. Yeah. You can find me on social media. Uh, most of the, major uh, channels platforms it's uh at robbie kowalski just like it, i think it said i type my name in here yeah robbie kowalski yeah we got it in the description too guys yeah and then if there's guys out there i, I started a facebook group called unplugged christian alphas on facebook and um you can just type that in it's it's free to join there's only about 100 guys in there right now but we just started and uh this is how i discovered you guys actually love for you guys to join and come maybe we'll even do some lives or something in there but you know the idea is really just trying to help Christian men, you know, walk in masculine excellence and hopefully ultimately, about that. yeah, change the way the world sees, sees Christianity. I feel like, you know, we're, we're on the, like the decline a little bit. Like Ned, well, Ned, that, that's been our goal with the podcast is show like, Hey, men can be jacked. They're like, not, not yeah. just men of these feminine kind of doormats. Like, right. We want to glamorize the discipleship and yes. the, the, the submission to Christ. What, how awesome it is. It's awesome. Oh. 
Yeah, yeah man. Right. So join the group, and uh, this was a real, real pleasure. Um, I, I, I'm going to introduce you guys to Rich Cooper too. Maybe he'd be fun to have on. I don't know if you want to have him. You have Rolos, so and maybe. Yeah, I, I like. Uh, I've, I listen to a lot of Rich's content. I like. He's. I view him like kind of the one of the more reasonable Manosphere guys. Yeah, like, I know he kind of doesn't associate with the Manosphere anymore. But uh, I do appreciate the, his his views. And, yeah, uh, thanks for we'll saying. win him over to Christ one day. Oh, really? Oh, oh, it's always the plan. I didn't know he was a believer. <laughs> it's always. I assume, plan. like, I maybe I'm. I'm assuming he's not. No, I, I would assume not. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but yeah. Well, Elliot, Elliot Hulse would be a great guest for you guys. I don't know. Do I know Elliot? Oh, dude, you guys got to check out. See that blue-eyed black guy? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, I know him. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I followed him way back in the day when he was doing like those home workout videos. He's yeah. a real devoted Catholic now. He's doing a lot of what you guys are doing and trying to help men, you know, embrace marriage and awesome. soul and get strong and all that. So he'd, yeah. be, he'd be good to have on. I might be able to pick up some others. Frank Rich, maybe he helps men get free from porn. A big ex bodybuilder guy. I got a couple people I could hook you guys up with. But man, I really right, man. let me talk. I mean, I know the conversation probably took a little bit of a turn that you didn't expect, but I was. No, I was, no, no, no. Specifically, I actually wanted to comment on that. I appreciate that because we as men need to experience. Uh, I'm not going to call it confrontation because that's too strong of a word. But what it is, is study together in real time. We're exchanging thoughts. I'm not, you know, it's a beautiful thing for men. That's how we get strong. It's how bonds are actually reinforced. And it's so hard to do that with guests sometimes without just like that little shifty weirdness. And then people shut down or let's not talk about that. And that's the problem in the church, man. Nothing's yeah. going to be talked about. Solutions aren't going to be found if we do that. So I appreciate your openness for that. Pushing back, playing some ball here. That's what we need to do. Awesome. Exactly. Thank you, guys. 100%. Awesome. Well, till next time, everyone. I guess uh, next week, I think we maybe have Rachel Wilson, or maybe it's no, I think it's a week after, but we'll keep we'll we'll keep you posted. Thanks. Right on. Thanks, folks. Blessings to you, dear brother.